get too excited, everybody. I'd love to tell you that that's a rockin' new intro to We Talk Games. However, that belongs to one of our fantastic guests on today's show. Grant Henry will be on the show to talk about his musical innovations. We Talk Games, Episode 6. We Talk Games, where the video game innovators come to talk games. We Talk Games, where an adult can be a kid. We Talk Games, where we chomp our own brand of pack pellets. I am your host, Wiggly. With me to my left, T.T. Schmootkins. Say it. T.T. Schmootkins. T.T. Schmootkins, I just said it. Correct. Now, another. In the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Down the end of the bar, our own resident World War II vet, Engelbert Humperstink, Stinky the Game Master. Huh. The only war veteran I know to come back gained a limb. How does that even happen? Have you ever been to a VA hospital? Yeah. yeah. It's not really a reach to understand. All right. And remember when I said that this is where video game innovators come to talk games? Yeah. yeah. Well, now we have to amend pinball innovators. The famous and sometimes infamous name in pinball, George Gomez, will be on the show to talk about all of his creations throughout the history of games since the 70s. It's amazing. One of, one of my favorite game creators in history, George Gomez. And continuing with the Pinball 2000 entanglement, Greg Maletic will be on the show. And I wish, I wish on stars that we could have a first interview about a new iPhone game with the creator of that game. I think my wish will come true. Plus, today's show will feature the most correspondents and co-hosts ever on any episode of We Talk Games. Of course, Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, Ralph, Eric Alex, Jade, and Trapdoor Charm will all be on the show to tell us what they've been playing. The We Talk Games International Panel of Video Game Millionaires will answer the hard questions. And as you know, we have a stacked guarantee on We Talk Games. Well, let me just also make an amendment. A hot guarantee. This show is hot, hot, hot. As you can tell from the opening number, this show is going to be hot. And not just figuratively, but literally, it's 120 degrees in a trapdoor chicken coop. I am nude. TT is nude. Stinky is nude. Gross. It's the all-nude review. Let's not start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part. Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. I'm so excited about today's show. There's so many guys. I can talk to so many people. And I, I, I just, I, I almost want to go forward to those uh, other numbers, those, uh, those minutes and hours on the show to, to jump forward and listen to what's going to happen. I can't wait. Why don't you calm down? All right, all right. What the heck? It's as if I'm not even a part of the show anymore. Well, I'm sorry, TT. It's just, I, I'll talk to you about it offline. I'll talk to you about it offline. I mean, if this was a video show, you'd be. Very prominently featured on everything. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Today's show. Yeah. You hit the dump button. You hear anything? We have to dump out. You just hit the dump button. Uh, let's let's get rolling with this because this show is, is st- so stacked. It's not even funny. 
and I have $10 worth of quarters. Uh, after the show, we can all go and stand inside one of those manual car wash machines, and we'll all take turns showering each other off with some cold water. Yeah. yeah. Let's rip right into downloadable arcade at home. Wow, the Genesis came out with Revenge of Shinobi. Now, this is the heavily edited Revenge of the Shinobi, the same one that you will get if you have the Sega Mega Packs and the Sega CD pack-in of a zillion titles and things like that. Revenge of Shinobi is one of those Genesis titles that I was incredibly envious of, my buddy that had the Genesis, because of the fact, in here, you fought Batman, then he turned into Man-Bat, then you fought Spider-Man, then you fought Godzilla, and you'd blow all his skin off, then you'd, you'd throw stars at this guy in a junkyard that was tossing cars at you, and the more that you hit him, he would turn green and green and green and bust out his shirt and everything, and then when you finally defeated him, he turned in like the endoskeleton of the T-9000, whatever the Terminator is, I don't know. But of course, all those elements had to be removed in later versions of the game. In fact, at one point in America, I think with the original release, they had to get Marvel's copy CMP for the Spider-Man figure, because it was him! He had on the red and blue leotards. But in later releases, that all had to be done away with. And this Wii Virtual Console release is no different. You will fight the Godzilla as a skeleton right from the start. The Batman part of Man-Bat is gone. He's just Man-Bat all the way. And it's not really Man-Bat. It's just a, a guy with bat wings and big bat ears. And Spider-Man now is just a completely pink fellow. I don't know what he would be called. Pink man? I don't know. So, Revenge of Shinobi, downloadable virtual console, you you decide. It's still a great game, but without that charm of the pop culture of the time tie-ins, it loses it loses its specialness. Uh, and it's special because it was illegal! <laughs> for the Super Nintendo, we got Super Star Wars. Expect uh, the rest of the trilogy to come out for the Super Nintendo and download. And that's really it as far as consoles go. Now, for the arcade, we received something that I thought, this is such a treat. The arcade version of Tecmo Bowl. I thought, wow, $6, we can have the arcade version of Tecmo Bowl. Let me tell you that this is the goofiest download ever. Because Tecmo Bowl in the arcade was shown on two screens. You had two screens that would act as one giant screen. So here's the perfect opportunity for Nintendo to release this game to fit the 16 by 9 television format. Instead, we get the 4x3 inside of a 16x9, so now we have the black bars on the side of our 16x9 screens, and then 16x9 inside of the 4x3. It's super postage stamped! The only game I think that you could pick that would be worse than this would be Ninja Warriors, because that was like spread across three screens, I think. Uh, you know, how, how you can barely see, even I don't care how big your television is, you can barely see what's even going on now. Tecmo Bowl doesn't have any of the elements that made the NES version of Tecmo Bowl so cool, all the cutscenes and things like this. You don't even choose plays in the original Tecmo Bowl. And I cannot even imagine playing this in four-player mode, which is what this game can support, because it would just be so confusing. Everything is so small. I assume that you could use the different zoom techniques of your television if you have those features however i just think the lack of any sort of resolution reconfiguration on this is just a tremendous oversight on nintendo's part and and i'm sad to see that in there let's go to the playstation store 15 dollars gets your marvel versus capcom 2 
So this was based off the Dreamcast version, and there are 56 fully unlocked characters to choose from right out the gate, right from the get-go, and it's in full 16 by 9 So you still have the 3D happening that, that looks a little dated, but everything else looks nice, smooth, and crisp. All the 2D animated characters look amazing. They look great. This huge, beautiful HD reproduction will make you forget all about Mugen, at least for about a month or so, especially when you see all those characters on screen. It's amazing. So you know all about it. Uh, definitely, definitely worth it. Fat Princess, of course, came out to mixed reviews. I haven't tried that yet. Final Fantasy Crystal Defenders. Now, I did try this. I did try this. This was a game that I, I downloaded the demo. And what an interesting title. This game would be perfect for the iPhone. And I'm not trying to detract from you downloading if you're a big, giant Final Fantasy completist mark or something like this. But it is sort of like a, a very interesting maze-based game where you decide what type of heroes you want to put in different places around this maze. And then once you set all your characters up, the villains start coming through like some type of Pac-Man game. But they just come through automatically. And as they come through... The heroes that you put in place to fight these villains try to stop them from exiting the other side of the maze. I like to call it a strategy Pac-Man that you watch. TV Show King also came out for $10. TV Show King on a system that already has buzz on it, and you obviously can't be your me in this, you just are some hastily cobbled together me looking like character i don't see a lot of future in tv show king i talked about tv show king i really really enjoyed this game for the wii but on the ps3 i think it's quite out of place namco museum essentials also came out this is uh, a game for ten dollars that you you use this game inside of ps home so if you're in ps home you can go into the arcade environment and walk up to a game of Dig Dug, Dragon Spirit, Pac-Man, Galaga, Xevious, or Xevious Resurrection, and play those games while you're inside of PS Home. Now, that being said, that's what you're supposed to be able to do. When you go up and put a quarter into one of the arcade games, and you have spent plunked down your $10 to have Namco Museum Essentials, it kicks you out of PS Home, you got to wait around for that, then you have to wait for the let's say Dig Dug in this example, you have to wait for that to come up, and then you're sort of like playing that, and then another screen happens, and a couple other screens, and it is not a seamless environment. You do not feel like you were in the virtual world, and then you went to the Dig Dug machine, and now all of a sudden you're just playing Dig Dug. There's a lot of loading going on in between, and a lot of things that just really disconnect you and make it tedious to try to do this inside of that virtual world. So it is a great collection of Namco Museum Essential games. If you don't already own them, $10 will get you some really great games. And they have little side arts that you could put up. Uh, and Xevious Resurrection is in there as well. Speaking of PlayStation Home, Home Saucer Pop. A little 3D space remote controlled flying saucer mine avoider game is now in the Plaza Center Fountain for free. You can go and play this game where you're moving a flying saucer around and trying not to hit mines. Also for both the PS Store and the Xbox, Watchmen The End is Nigh Part 2. You know what this is. Part 2 of Watchmen The End is Nigh. 
Also for the PlayStation Store, a bunch of downloadable content, including the the Hannah Montana map packs that you've been clamoring for, and a serious slew of PS1 and PSP games. I don't know if they're trying to go for some sort of record, or if this is in anticipation of the non-UMD PSP that they're bringing out, but there has been a plethora of PS1 and PSP games. On the Xbox... Xbox Live Arcade. Number one, we now have Games on Demand. Games on Demand now removes the one positive mark that I had exclusively for the PlayStation Store and that you could download entire games. Now you can download giant Xbox 360 games on demand. To me, this is huge. And just like the PlayStation Home, we now have the Avatar Marketplace, where instead of getting the little clothing item updates for free, now you can go in there and pay for them. And you're paying to advertise brand names like Adidas and whatnot. So not only are you paying money for things that should be free, but now you're paying to advertise other people's products, which they should be paying you to be wearing. And you know I already bought some stuff in there. We also got Turtles in Time. This was a highly anticipated arcade game because uh, Turtles in Time was such a really, really fun four-player game in the arcade. However, now it is a 3D recreation of this. And in my opinion, the 3D recreation of this title does not work whatsoever. But you be the judge. The great thing about the Xbox Store is you could download a trial of every single one of these games. That's why I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just telling you what was released. Monkey Island's SE also came out, so if you're a big fan of Monkey Island, give that a shot. Also, we got Marvel vs. Capcom 2, as I explained before. Splosion Man, which we'll talk about with Kyle. And I had to get Madball's Babo Invasion. I'm a huge fan of Madball's. I like everything Madball's. Oculus has hardly touched his corny on the cob. I liked every cartoon that came out for Mad Balls when they tried the live animation on popsicle sticks and everything. I love that. Let me tell you, this game is horrible. It is unfortunate. Take loaded for the PS1. Don't change the graphics very much, except instead of a really cool Jason zombie-like person running around with a chainsaw, stick in a Mad Ball. It looks great. That's the only thing that looks good about it, is that you are actually a Mad Ball rolling around with some type of bazooka sticking out his front this game made me sick literally i don't get sick from first person games and this is not a first person it's it's three-quarter overhead but the movement of this title made me physically ill and unfortunately there's just not a lot to this title play the demo see if you like it however i am one of the most hardcore madball fans and i can't even tolerate this title it's sad it's sad But what is not sad, and probably the greatest release in I don't know how long, the true successor to Excitebike, and I don't say that lightly, Excitebike is a game that I go back to at least once a month. There's something about Excitebike that I love. I love building my own tracks. I just love hitting the ramps in the right way, landing properly, figuring out how to use my turbo, how I want to hit the speed strips. There's so much about the original Excitebike to love, and we did get a sequel to Excitebike, which was horrible. It was a first-person mess. Trials HD for the Xbox Live Arcade is one of the greatest games I've ever played. It is incredibly fun. It is gorgeous. 
And it is not only something that I consider to be a successor to Excite Bike, but I think that it is the first game that will actually replace Excite Bike for that type of sensation fix. It is almost a side-scrolling motorcycle motocross game. It is in full 3D, and it is in gorgeous 3D. I don't think you can make those graphics any more clear, crisp, and gorgeous as they are now. And the game objective is very simple. Get from point A to point B faster than anybody else, faster than your friends, in the fastest time possible. However, what happens between A and B is amazing. It blows away any jump you have ever made in any racing game prior to this. And if you're looking for something to give you the evil Knievel feeling, this goes better than that. This gives you the Robbie Knievel feeling. And there are explosions, there is action happening all around you. The jumps are unreal. Some of the jumps are so incredible, there's even loop-de-loops. So treat yourself and get Trials HD now! And that's that. And that's that. Come on. So exciting, man. I can't wait. Uh, Keith, open the line. Let's get Kyle on. Let's get going with this. Grant Henry, George Gomez, Tilt Guy, Correspondent. Let's go. Um, you know, I think you're forgetting something. I'm sorry, Keith. Thank you, TT. Thank you. I'm banging things around. I'm knocking things around. I see the red button right here, and it dawns on me. Because we have so many correspondents, co-hosts, and guests on today's show, because it's so stacked, in the interest of time, the We Talk Games Council for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, of course, also known as WECAC Flipkleys, have installed a time-saving device from the Digital Connectivity Wizards at RIT Team. Big thanks go out to RIT Team, of course, Rosenstein's Information Technologies and Enriched Elbow Mac. They came over, they took time, they rushed order, came over and installed, of course, the Magic Suck 2012, I guess is what it's called, it says here. And, Keith, what's it supposed to supposed to automatically, just if I press the red button, it just connects me to everyone that's in the call queue, so I don't have to go, Keith, open the line, get me to the snack, Keith, open the line, get me, ho, ho, Keith, do this, do that, Keith, everybody, go, hey, you, go, go, go. Time-saving, wham, 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 I press the red button, whammo, I'm connected. And who can argue with Weckack Flip, please? Let's just press the button, let's go! Magic suck will connect you. Magic Hello? What I do? Press the button again now? Yeah. Magic suck. Satellite. Satellite of integrity. My brother Kyle, go. The Freedom Stick will set you free! No wires. No wires. How you doing, Wiggly? Oh, I'm better now. This show, without a doubt, stacked. (laughs) Totally stacked. They should just call this We Talk Games tagline where the industry icons culminate. How amazing is this show? I can't believe it. And next month is already stacking up. I, I, yeah, I know, I know, we know, but they don't know. It's They're going to have to tune in next month. Should we call We Talk Games Tippet? Because it showed the stacks of that's so relevant with the youth of today. 
Pogs. <laughs> what do we? What do you got uh, this uh, year? Addendum. I know you were oh, waiting for boy. it. You love the addendums. Real quick. Last month, remember we were talking about the Sega Master System? Dude, I can't even remember yesterday. Well, I assure you we ago. were talking about the, Mega, the uh, Sega Master System. Oh, yeah, the Sega Master System, of course, the, the Sega cards. Right, that's the what the addendum is. We were trying to remember what those cards were called. Technically, they're called Mii cards, but commercially, they were called Sega cards. It okay. doesn't really matter, because not a lot of games came out for them. But no, my hero. Punch a mohawk guy in the head. Oh, true, true. Uh, but I just want to make sure that, you know, if anything's left off, I want to tie together the loose ends, basically. I don't sure. want anybody wondering what, because we we are We Talk Games. We are, and speaking of games, let's not confuse My Hero for the Sega Master System, a me card, for My Hero for the Supervision. Let's not. No. Hey, Kyle, uh, did you see the t-shirts dropped? I didn't just see. I'm wearing one right now. The Pro Gear line for WeTalkGames.com. Go to WeTalkGames.com. Click on the disturbing real-life reenactment of Stinky and T.T. Schmootkins by myself and, uh, and Trapdoor Charmed. And you will, see, you will see the new Pro Gear line. Now, right now, there's only one Pro Gear available. And that's in limited supply because uh, hopefully, if this all works, then we will see the multiple... Uh, other t-shirt ideas we have going on there. We got designs in the queue, but if you want to see them, you better buy now. And as you know, this artwork is an exclusive. This was done by Thaddeus Cauldron, one of the artists right now for the fabulous misadventures of Flapjack. Which is amazing. That's it is just, amazing. just unbelievable. So this is some good stuff. He also did our little caricatures that are also featured on our Cafe Press gear, which, of course, for that, I recommend the tote bag, the button, and the uh, ceramic drink coffee tile, cup. and the coffee yeah. coffee mug as well. Those all come out great. And, you know, the T-shirts. But this, is the Pro Gear, that's a separate link. That is all in-house. We are making this available. This is silk screen on what I had to say. Is argue, I think it's in the Guinness Book of World Records. The most comfortable T-shirt ever created by human hands and alien technology. This is an extremely comfortable shirt. This is high-quality product right here. And you're going to put it on and be amazed at how nice and soft it is. It's just a beautiful shirt. The inks, the matte on the white is amazing. And the semi-gloss on the black is just out of this world. I love it. I'm, like I said, I'm wearing it right now. Couldn't be more comfortable. I feel like I can play video games better. I think that you... And you know what? It's very slimming. It is. <laughs> and also, don't fail to mention... Every purchase of a Pro Gear t-shirt comes with a super secret bonus gift. What if they're from out of the United continental United States? They might get a lighter bonus gift <laughs> than people within the United States, but, but they'll still get a bonus gift. And this is available worldwide. Worldwide. Yes, worldwide. International, right even. Right on, right on. These That's bonus gifts one. are t-shirt. Uh, well, it comes with a t-shirt. Yep. Stickers, games, um, one-of-a-kind collectibles. I, I can guarantee that. Can you guarantee that, Wiggly, that there are, in fact, stickers, one-of-a-kind collectibles, and actual video games as a part of this mystery prize offering? I'll go you one better. I absolutely yeah. guarantee it. So I'm pick up yours now. now. Makes my voice, right now. Makes my voice a lot smoother. All right, Very that's good. enough of that. Very good. Yes, Pro Line, get it now. Pro Gear, wetalkgames.com. And yeah. let's continue on. Absolutely. Ask any Microsoft PR person. You know what they'll tell you? What will they tell you? That this is the summer of arcades. Do you believe that? Uh, 
Maybe if you're looking at the virtual console on the Wii, you don't believe that. You're getting a time machine. Yeah. But on the Xbox Live Arcade, there's been a lot of games coming out. You had Turtles in Time come out. Yeah. And you had a few other games that I don't want to divulge right now because I'm going to talk about them. Oh, okay. What do you got? I know you're looking for something new. How about this? A first-person shooter set in World War II. (laughs) I think I mentioned this last show. Yes. Well, Battlefield 1943 is a great example of how far we've come since the early days of the XBLA with the 50 megabyte caps and them scratching their heads like, how are we going to get Symphony of the Night on this thing? (laughs) Well, this game is quite large for what it is. It is a full-fledged World War II FPS. Not on the level you call a duty world of war, but it's decent, it's pretty polished, and of course this is a port of the Battlefield 1942 from the PC. But Unlike the PC, this has been tailor-made for the console. Right. There's only one game mode in this game. It's called Conquest Mode. You're, you either play on the American side or the Japanese side, and it's all online play. play hey, rather. War is hell. War is hell. Uh, there's no single-player campaign or anything like that. It's right. straight-up, jump-in, deathmatch, okay? Yep. Now, unlike Call of Duty, where players can mix and match weapons, you play as one of three classes. Rifleman, Infantry, Scout. Each of these classes have their own strengths, weaknesses, and weapon sets. Okay. There's large maps, destructible environments, and a litany of vehicles, tanks, jeeps, planes, boats. Okay? Yep. Now, I jumped into this game. I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be like Call of Duty. I'm going to run up, pop some people in the face, stable, stable, have a good time. Well, it's not exactly like that. These maps are very, very large, much larger than the Call of Duty maps. And you'll be walking, and then pop! There goes your brains scattered on the floor because there are elite, elite players playing LMFAO new gotcha's. 27 exclamation points. That's what they're going to be saying in your headset every time they pop your cap off. Except with so, probably some expletives in there and some uh, racism. Racism, um, homophobia, and your mama jokes. I see. And Circa 1995. And, you know, this is just like war with all the respawning going on. <laughs> just like war, exactly. You gain experience, you gain ranks. It's more of bragging rights. It doesn't really unlock any additional content. Like I said, it's visually, it's it's a nice looking game. Not the polish of maybe a, a title that you'd buy at the store, but right. definitely amazing for being an X, uh, Xbox Live arcade game. Um, like I said, brutally difficult. So my recommendation is get a couple of your friends together, three or four, and have them all. Da- you know, if they're all interested, of course, mm-hmm. download because uh, together because this is a very team oriented game. It's not meant for the lone wolves. You're going to have to work with other people, and unfortunately, I don't really think the community is there yet where you can jump into a game and start working as a team you know i tried it and this guy doesn't have a mic this guy's just an ignorant jerk this guy's waiting for tanks to respawn it wasn't working play with your friends if you are interested in the game you can pick it up for 1200 xbox points or about 15 dollars very good now another game you and i were talking about offline and now we're going to talk about it online Mm -hmm. explosion man for xbox live arcade yeah a lot of uh, a lot of questions about this rationalize is wondering this is going to be worth it for him to, to spend his uh, X points? Well, if Rationalize took my recommendation up on uh, Johnny Platform's Biscuit Romp, that's a mouthful, yes, it and is. purchased that game and had a good time with that, I know that was a community game, he'll have a blast with Splosion Man. No <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> Insert can laughter here. No. Um, 
eight hundred Xbox points is about ten dollars. What'd you think of it? I had a I had a blast. Yeah, I had a fun Play. time playing it. It was it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting too much out of it. I thought you know I, you know whatever these things come and go, and I actually really really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the baloney bits that happened and the string sausages. Right. I, it ham reminded hocks. me a lot of the 16-bit era goofiness that we would get from games like Earthworm Jim. There you go! And I, I gotta say that th- I've been missing something like this, I guess, because, you know, platformers on the next-gen consoles aren't the same as they were in the 16-bit era, or even the 8-bit era. So, uh, this goofiness is some- somewhat of a nostalgic for me, and I really had a blast playing this game, <laughs> oh, I can't help but say, for some reason. Yes. It's fun. It's straight up fun, and it gets increasingly more difficult. There's, uh, I don't even know how many levels. It's it's a long game. It's a lot of bang for your buck. And uh, as it, really oh my not, I'm not trying. I am not trying for these okay. ones. Okay. But you'll have a good time. It gets increasingly more difficult. And uh, it, it, as you go, you'll find that you may get stuck. And if you die enough times, the game will just ask you, like, do you just want to take the coward's way out and skip to the next level? Mm-hmm. Which, that's a nice feature. Uh, what's also nice about the feature is you get to wear a tutu for doing that for the next level. <laughs> which if I think is kind of too hard. Yeah, instead uh, of getting hard. expulsioned from the game, you wear a tutu. Look, I'm sorry about the puns. Yes. I really was trying to just... Buzzwords, you know. Right on. Okay, and now I'm going to have to ask you to play that Wii bumper. No, I don't take requests, sorry. All right, well, let's talk about the conduit for the Wii. Hold on. Can I get a Wii? Can I get a Wii? Go ahead. The Wii, unlike the N64 days, you know, with Perfect Dark and GoldenEye, the Wii's not known for first-person shooters. But the conduit is an exclusive FPS for the Wii. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes. And I gotta say, although it is an average first-person shooter, that you know nothing spectacular is going on in this game. It is visually impressive. It's got excellent lighting effects, interesting level designs. The only complaint with the visuals is sometimes it gets a little choppy with the frame rate, but nothing that's too um, barbarous while playing. And it's the so f- you know basically just a little bit above the GameCube engine, so can't complain, yeah, I guess. And really, um, I'd go on record saying that it looks as good as some Xbox 360 games. Not, you know, your top-tier games, mm-hmm. but definitely uh, like a stranglehold. Okay. You know? Oh, yeah. Very yeah, good. Not Ted Nugent's stranglehold. Fair enough. No. Yeah. yeah. It's got fully customizable controls, Wiggly. This is this is something really cool. You can adjust the speed, tilt, yaw, how you aim, how you walk, how you run, everything. Everything is customizable. And I know how important that is to you. It's very important to me because I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of the waggle, and sometimes the Wii remote's not as responsive as I want it to be. This takes all that away. It, it washes its hands clean of any issues you might have with the controls. So if you don't like the controls, like I said, it's your own fault. Now, how much does this rock you? Fifteen dollars, sixteen dollars? <laughs> On the Wiggly Mini Mall, yeah. it's going to rock you forty dollars and forty nine cents oh, new. It's still full yeah. price. But used, you can pick it up for thirty nine fifty. Uh, My recommendation would be to wait till it drops a little yeah, bit. But yeah. if you want a first-person shooter on your Wii, and if somehow you got cursed with nothing but a Wii, it's not a secondary console, but instead a primary console for you, and you're yearning for an FPS uh, on your Wii, pick this game up, because it's a good FPS. It's just nothing spectacular. There's better titles out there. Right. Well, I move your- that all Wii games must come in at a MSRP of $25. I would agree with that. Second that it! Be a, I would second that. 
this game's going to give you five to eight hours of gameplay. Okay? Mm. So, we yeah, give or take. Ah. But online mode is going to give you hours more. Okay. And um, I discussed it with you off the line, but it's a mixed bag with the online mode because sometimes you get the lag, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it runs beautifully, sometimes it's garbage. So, it's a standard but, Wii online title. Unfortunately, yeah. Gotcha. But if you get into a game and it's running smooth, you're going to have a good time. Okay, very good. What else we got? Let's move on to the handhelds. Yes, uh, I saw this game in stores, and I was tossing and turning. Do I get it? Don't I get it? A dungeon crawler. Ah, I don't know. The last dungeon crawlers I played were like Shining in the Darkness and Eye of the Beholder. And the nostalgia was getting to me. It was a monkey on my back saying, come on, just buy it. You'll have a good time. It's on the DS. It's personal. You have, you have fun. The Dark Spire for the Nintendo DS. Okay. Which you can pick up at the Wiggly Mini Mall for $27.99 new or $12.49 used. Wow. That's a uh, Don't get excited yet. Okay. On the box, it's like, hey, it comes with a soundtrack. So I'm like, man, I mean, did I miss this game? Is it a revamp? No, it's a completely original game. It's a throwback to the old dungeon crawlers of the 80s and 90s that you'd find on a, you know, your PC, on your uh, Nintendo. C64? And, uh, your C64. Maybe. Hey, Kyle, uh, yes. not to interrupt you, but were you aware of the fact that the Commodore 64 was $595 when it first came out? That is unbelievable, mm. and yet I believe it. Yes. And don't ever worry about interrupting me. You never do that. Oh, no. Very good. So, I get the game. I buy this Move. game. I'm, all right. I'm, I'm so excited to play this game. I'm like, oh, all right, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, we did not have a good time. Oh. Uh, it, it's very, very difficult. It's very, very unbalanced. Well, did you have it's your ve- graph paper out to map the dungeons? Don't laugh at me, but yes, I did have graph paper out to oh. map some dungeons. <laughs> But that's a part of the whole experience, mm-hmm. Wiggly. That's mm. what you do, you know? You you did that. Don't don't judge me. Of course. I, I In fact, I wouldn't buy a computer dungeon crawler uh, unless I could get it used with already pre-existing um, graph paper mapped out things. How um, fantastic was it back in the day when you bought, like, a C64 game or a Amiga game and it came with all that extra junk? Yeah. You get, like, maps and a book, and the game would tell you, turn to page 32 and read what the elf wrote on the wall. You know, yep. things I'm like look, that. Looking at King's Bounty, The Magic Candle, Ultima Five, Warriors of uh, Destiny, of course. Yes. Um, I'm looking at uh, Bard's Tale, Tales of the Unknown. Looking okay. at Thief of Fate, Bard's Tale 3. I'm looking at The Fairy Tale. The if only there was a way to run those games now on like a Windows 7 or a Vista computer. Or you know they're not going to work. You know, try to plug it in with your big floppy disk. But all <laughs> shove that is, into the CD-ROM. It only needs 64K. Yeah. yeah um, I wish there was I, a way I'm to sure play I can still these. find graph paper from like Eye of the Beholder somewhere Very in good. my room. Tucked away in like a trigonometry book or something. Um, but I was disappointed with this game. Okay. It's kind of too dated. I wanted a dungeon crawler for, you know, 2009, not... 89 and the game gives you an option it gives you the fully fleshed out art style and the art style is okay uh or you can go classic mode where it's just black screen with white overlay wireframe hmm. which that's cool and nostalgic so i try to turn that on and it's even worse playing it that way because instead uh, the of soundtrack because it wasn't i mean it wasn't designed right it's like just a filter they put on afterwards you know yeah exactly so. I, I mean i guess it's more of that whole like oh this is a remake of an old game not really. Like, it was just to give that whole feel that this right. was something that came out back then, but okay. it wasn't. So the soundtrack, right? The soundtrack comes with the CD with the soundtrack. you yeah. got to listen to the soundtrack. The music is abysmal. 
Oh. Right? You'll never listen to the soundtrack. You, I think you'd rather listen to like Babies Crying for two hours than listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack is awful. There's opera singing and weird, uh, crappy industrial music. Huh. I was not digging the music in this game. In fact, I turned it off. Okay. It might be something for somebody. It wasn't for me. Right on. So let's move on. Yes. Another Nintendo DS game that I picked up, it wasn't actually for me. It was for my girlfriend. Okay. She turned 26, and I wanted to get her something nice for the DS. And I went for a game, but I found out that Professor Layden doesn't come out till later this month. Uh, the second one. Okay. If you haven't picked up the first one, pick up the first one. That's a real quick review. Right. We, we, <laughs> pick up that first one. We'll go on a longer review with that one later. Sure. But the second Professor Layden wasn't out yet, so I'm like, man, what do I get her? I want to get her a DS game because... I want to get her doing that just to relax her. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I found Personal Trainer Cooking for the Nintendo DS. Now, this isn't a game. It's an application. Right. But she was getting into cooking recently. She was going through old cookbooks and making some fantastic meals. And I'm like, hey, this will only help that cause. Mm. So I pick it up. And you can get it at the Wiggly Mini Mall for $19.49 new. Yes. Which is a great price. It's under $20. But hold on to your hat, Wiggly. Okay. Wait. Now. You you got it? Yeah. You got your hat? Okay. You can get it used for $8.74. Holy mackerel! It's incredible. It's like a flea market price at a mall. Without the fleas. Oh. And the mall. Without the mall as well. Oh. So So there's over 300 different recipes you can cook. There's entrees and sides. There's something for everybody from all different countries around the world. It's not North America, South America, Europe. No, it's Germany, Argentina, Brazil, Hmm. Japan, Korea. There's so many different things you can make with this little application. It's fantastic. For under $20, if you're into cooking, I can't urge you enough to pick up this game. There's a little chef comes on the screen. He makes it easy for you. It's like coloring by numbers. Mm. Step by step, talking to you through the whole way, and this voice activation. So let's say you're wrist deep in some sort of marinade. You don't have to take your hand out, touch a DS, smudge it all up. You just say, next step. Yeah. And it goes on to the next step. If you need uh, more detailed instructions, you say more details. Yeah, now, it talks uh, to you, uh, we, you talk to it. Right. The only thing I suggest is don't have a radio, a television, or a squawking bird in the background because the chef will get confused and start skipping steps or rereading or doing other things you don't want him to do. Right on. But if that is the case, if you are cooking in a noisy environment, which could happen, surprisingly enough, you can turn off the voice activation and just use the stylus. You know, but you're going to have to be wiping your hands every 10 seconds because it's very involved. Yeah, but you'll make amazing things with this, uh, this application, amazing dishes. And it's very customizable. You can, you can make it talk faster, slower, uh, choose how you want it to talk to you. You can uh, choose what type of um, ingredients you want to use and things right, like that. Right, like you don't eat meat, I mm-hmm. can't eat peanuts, things like that. You can exclude those ingredients right on. from the game, and then it won't show you those meals, which that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is, it's so, I, is it a part of the G-Touch, or G-Touch gener, generation? I think it is. I think it's a part of that series. I'll have you know to get back to you on that, Kyle. No, I, I'm almost, there's no need for an addendum. Oh. I, I'm almost positive that it is. Very good. Um, all those games... All those applications are usually very good, and this one doesn't fall short. It, it's fun, but you got to be into cooking. It's great for your girlfriend, boyfriend, significant other, moms, dads. It's it's a great couples game as well. I find myself we're working together and we're laughing about the chef because you know I sneezed and he's skipping two steps. It's, <laughs> you know, I like it. It'll bring people together. You're rubbing flour on each other's noses. Yeah, it's cute. 
All right, now we're doing something a little bit different on this month's show. We're adding a little feature, a little addition to each correspondent or co-host segment, and that is that you are to pick one console, your console of choice, and pick the three must-have titles for that console. Now, this should probably be one of your favorite consoles, so Kyle, you are the first uh, co-host on today, so name your favorite console and the three must-have titles for that. I'm going to go with that classic, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Nope. Sorry. The head office just told me you're doing the Wii. You are a Wii guy. Your favorite console is the Wii. Most reluctantly, I am the Wii guy. How did I even fall into this category of being the Wii guy for this show? I don't, I don't even like the Wii. I think the Wii stinks. I just try to find games that people might like playing it. You think it stinks? Oh, well, I don't think it stinks. How I just dare you! All right, it's 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 like a secondary system. We already went over this. It's okay, not a primary gotcha, system. Gotcha, it's gotcha. Something you have as well as uh, your PS3. I'm getting a call. I'm sorry. I gotta I gotta drop you, Kyle. Stand by. Okay. All right, we're back. Now you say you love the Wii. Tell us about the lo- lovely Wii that you love and the lovely games that you love. All right. Well, if I'm being strong armed into this or forced into this, I guess I'll do my part and try to pick three amazing Wii games that you should own. All right. With the prerequisite that it's not a first-party game like a Mario or a Zelda or a Metroid, because that's just too easy. Yeah, because pretty much all the, the original Wii titles, people know that that's what they should get. That's what it was made for, built for, except perhaps uh, with the ex- exclusion of uh, Wii Music, maybe. Uh, unless, uh, you know, this can help a lot of aspiring musicians, especially if you play an instrument where all you do is press one button on something. And, and wave nothing. your arms around, right? That's how we make music. <laughs> right on. So, yeah. yeah, pretty much everything else is, is pretty solid. And you're, you're what pretty was Miyamoto thinking with that thing? We're going to have to get him on the show. That's that's what we have to do. That's the plan. Maybe next month on We Talk Games. I think we've heard him talk enough about how great we we music is, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Sometimes people I don't just think like he needs it. to sell it anymore to us. You know what we should do? We should, we should pose that to the Council of the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. Name a, something that you think is a terrible flop, but yet you still love it. Like the lovable losers or something like that. That's a fantastic idea. Let's right. do that in the future. I'm going to write that down on a card here. Very good. So what what three games would you recommend, non-Nintendo branded titles, non-in-house games, for the Wii? Well, if I'm being forced into this, I'm going to break the rule right now and say that I'm going to pick four. Oh, my gosh. Well, if I can't talk about what I want to talk about, the least wet gack flip please can do is give me one extra game to, That's to discuss. That's one demerit. Go ahead. Make it happen. I'm going to talk about Okami for the Wii. Okay. Maybe you saw this game on the PlayStation 2. A beautiful game, right? Yeah, yeah, we talked about this before. Great art style, a lot of fun. It's the one where you're, gonna, you're like a wolf or something. Yes, you're a white wolf with the, the red uh, tribal on your face. And the game is beautiful um, watercolors. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's like you're playing with watercolors on the screen. It's, it's a lot of fun, too. Um, I'm also going to recommend Klonoa for the Wii. I talked about that, I believe, last episode on We Talk Games. And if you want a platformer that isn't a Mario game and certainly is not a Sonic game... I think Klonoa is going to deliver. Have you picked that up yet? Not yet, but I did... Pick it up on the cheap at the Wiggly Mini Mall. What are you waiting for? Well, I picked up the uh, run-around chompers, or whatever it's called. Oh, the Munchables. Yeah. Well, how'd you, did you like that? Well, you know, I thought it would be good for me and Chizzy to, to sit back and chomp Munchable. around. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Okay. I have to get deeper into it, I think. 
Well, speaking of games that you could play with other people, the next recommendation on my list would be Boom Blocks Bash Party. Not the first one with uh, Steven Spielberg's name on it, the second one. It's not an amazing game, but it's fun to play. So it's like a party game. And I didn't want to pick a guitar hero, so I picked mm. a party game that's a little bit different. And it's fun with four players. I think you'll have a blast. I'll tell you what, if you want to pick up Rock Band and stuff like that for your Wii, you pick the right system to get it for, because doesn't the Wii always get discounted first uh, when when new versions of Rock Band come out? Because, you know, they're having a hard time moving it, I guess. Uh, And so that's kind of that's a good It's not a personal trainer, you know? (laughs) That's why it's not selling. It's not a a EA coach or anything like that. Gotcha, gotcha. The Was next pick on my list okay. is a game I just discussed. Uh, it's The Conduit for the Wii. Okay. Now, I picked this game because it's a good first-person shooter, and it's on your Wii. So if the Wii is your primary system, I'm sorry. But <laughs> you can pick up The Conduit and have a good time. And like I said, the multiplayer online is not that bad, with the exception of lag here and there. You're going to have a good time. So those are my picks for the Wii. Very good. and Reluctantly. <laughs> Yes. Now, I also will be giving my picks, so I actually get to name like 155 picks because we're having like 70 co-hosts and correspondents on today's show. Do it. So it's very good. But I got to tell you that I wanted to get all my uh, Wii recommended titles together, except three of them still have cellophane on them, so I don't even know if I really (laughs) like them or can recommend them. But I'm I'm going to mention these titles, and then if I do like them, I will play a, uh, a bell sound. Uh, right okay. after I say the name, uh, put it in post. I'll play a bell sound after I try these titles next to the ones that I do recommend. Number one, one thing I do know that I do recommend, and that is not shrink wrap still, is Deadly Creatures. And I'll give a full review of that later on in today's program. Deadly Creatures, if you need a Wii game that is not by first party, this is uh, one of the better titles that you're going to get. And you might actually play all the way through it and pinch yourself every time that you're reminded that you're actually playing it on the Wii. And another game, of course, like that would be uh, No More Heroes. That was, a, that was a pretty amazing title as well. I know you probably stayed away from that because maybe you didn't think it was um, noteworthy. I However, didn't stay... Well, yeah, I, I did stay away from it for my list, but it is a good, it's a good game on the Wii. I, I think for the Wii and once again, one of the first adult titles for the Wii. Uh, that doesn't take away from it. It's still an enjoyable title to play. It has a lot of innovations that utilize the Wii controllers in different ways. And a lot of really, especially, you know, I'm, I'm a big mark for the uh, Wiimote speaker. Yes. And yeah, so say that. when that happened, and then just the little ways, the little neat things that happen, if you haven't played this yet, which a lot of people are you got to realize the Wii is still getting a lot of buys now, a lot of new users to the Wii. So I don't want to just spoil it for you, although you, you might have already read everything I've written about it. But I have three games uh, in, in their cellophane that I will count as my third pick. Okay. Now, now, don't consider that a cheat because I haven't played them. So you will hear You're doing nothing and- different than video game journalists on the web. <laughs> reviewing games you haven't played you will you will have a bell sound next to the title that i would recommend out of these three still in their rapper titles resident evil the umbrella chronicles i don't know if a bell happened yet but i picked this because it is not uh, a resident evil game it's more like a um uh, house of the dead one two or house of the dead tarantino edition i did Um, play those by the way did you okay and did you play umbrella chronicles 
Uh, uh, no, I did not play Umbrella Chronicles. Okay. I did play the House of the Dead games 1 and 2 for the Wii. Very good. And uh, so who knows? Maybe that's one I recommend. I also have Stolen Shrink Wrapping Knight's Journey into of Dreams. I picked this one because Knights didn't come out for anything except the, you know, the Saturn. And mm. uh, did it come out? There's for- a lovable loser. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that introduced the Saturn analog remote that came packed in yes. the Japanese version and the American version, the white and the black uh, controllers, respectively. And also, I still have in a shrink wrapping, well, let's let's plug Atari for now, uh, Godzilla Unleashed, uh, the Wii version. I don't know how that came out for the Wii. Uh, I don't know if we'll be hearing a bell sound. Well, I'll have to wait for the bell. Okay. Hey, when do I get to do my thing? Hey, Stinky! This is the most important part! I know, Stink. Well, we said we just had to do the... the recommended systems and stuff. Yeah, okay. Who's our winner? All right. Number one, send all your entries to contest. No, no Stinky, that's the, the directions from last time. Who's uh, the winner this month? Well, you won. If you win... Oh, listen. This is amazing stuff. Yeah. Well, first of all, to this month's contest uh, conclusion, the conclusion of this month's contest, was to get that song from last episode, and then the winner receives a $25 gift certificate to Jinx.com. Now, I don't know if you visited Jinx.com, J-I-N-X, but they got some great stuff. And as Fantastic matter, stuff. As a matter of fact, um, I'm sporting one of their creations in an upcoming episode of the Chikara Podcast at GoGo. So find that out. Uh Stinky, so who won? Uh, I don't know. I put the email in front of you there. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, hey, here we go. Hey, Wig, R-E here. Oh, re-one. I believe that's rationalized. It's, ra- it's our own rationalize. Very good. How Congratulations, rationalize. He actually won. Well, go ahead and finish reading. I was YouTubing the games in the We Talk game, Episode 5 Synopsis. It was epic. And found Stinky's... Contest tune in the, in the video of Gogo Thirteen. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, you know we have, I know that we have a lot of Gogo Thirteen fans, but <laughs> Jason was the only one that got it right. So amazing! Congratulations, uh, Rationalize. I'm so happy. And he says uh, in his uh, continues in his email. I also checked out the Jinx site, and it looks amazing. It is amazing. Good job with the Jinx We Talk Games uh, sponsorship deal. Yeah. Well, they only sponsored us for that one show, but what a what a what a contest it was. Yeah, and thank you very much, drink, Jinx.com, for uh, sponsoring Drinky. that gift. That was awesome. Thank you, Drinky the Stink Man. Yes. Yes. Now, what do we got for this month, uh, Stink? Hey, for this month's uh, Stinky the Game Master Stinky's Contest of the Month. I don't even know what I call my show. He's, he's still working on it, I believe. Yeah. Hey, remember when you were talking about all those games, like the Ultima and stuff like that? Oh, sure, yeah, that was just a few minutes ago, yeah. You mean that you actually listen to what I'm saying before it's your part, Stink? All right, all right, you. Hey, uh, you ever wish that you could play Republic and VR Soccer 96 and Capitalism, and you're like, I put them in Vista, and why do I'm blue screening? Vista has that problem. Yeah, what about all those good old games? Well, you go to good old games, GOG.com, you could actually pick from a lot of those great Duke Nukem 3D and Gothic 2 and Prince of Persia. and Get out of here! Yeah, you could die, and they're going to work flawlessly. Wow. Stinky, your... pulling through again. Yeah, they're, they're giving us a gift certificate for a slew of... 
of their titles. Greater than one, less than six of their downloadable content games. And, you know, what their slogan is, Kyle. Yeah. What? Uh, no, I'm asking you what. I don't know. Or do you not know, Sticky? All I know is it just works. It does just work. So, uh, if you want to win that, all you got to do, since it works so well with Name That Game last episode, we're continuing the Name That Game. Listen to win. Name this game. Let me get my knob. Hold on. Okay, let me press the button. We got to mic this one. Here you go. Are you listening? I'm listening. There you go. Who are you, who are you playing against? Hold on. All right. Wait, and... Hey! Name that game, but you can't do it. Excellent. Very good, Stinky. <laughs> Not bad as well. I don't know how you did that one slow motion shot, but that was pretty good. Send all your winning entries to contests at We Talk Games. Many will win. Only one. No, 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 no. Many will enter. Many. One will win. Many Stinky. will. You. I will win. No, Stinky, you, you don't win. Uh, somebody who enters. Not wins. eligible if You're related not eligible. to me. I got to go take a shower. That's good. Stinky is the man. Thanks, Stinky. Yeah, go to go to uh, GOG.com. Check out the catalog. It's a great, and, you know, test to kick the tires on a couple of the titles and see how one clickable it really is and and uh, it just works there's some there's some games that are free on there right now some gems make yeah. it happen man make it happen and then send in your entry and we'll we'll get you hooked up with a bunch of titles thank you very much good old games yeah all right Kyle hey stay on the line for the international panel of video game millionaires and I will bring you back on board when it's time to go with that talk to you then see you man bye bye Kyle Von Kubik from We Talk Games, and of course, Heroes of Gravitron. Let's continue with this video gaming tapestry. Let's bring in Grant Henry. Keith, oh, oh almost did it again. Let's press the button here. Doesn't seem like it saves a lot of time. Thank you, Captain Obvious over there. Charlotte, North Carolina, go! Grant Henry. <laughs> Grant. Hey, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to go, man. Where are we going? Grant, I'm going now you're the first this is the first time that we're talking to you. A lot of people trying to get a hold of you. Maybe some people don't know why. Other people probably are marking out and popping a little in their seat. But I'm gonna say a series of words and you say if they mean anything to you. First do this. first word Metroid Metal. Does that mean anything to you? It, it means a, a couple things. <laughs> okay. Uh means uh Nintendo. Oh, it means, it means metal, right? It means guitar. This is kind of like those ink blot paintings, right? <laughs> uh, and apple pie. Those are the things I've, I've pretty much come up with. Uh, Very good. Metroid metal. Excellent. Yeah, now, good. now you are. Did, now, did you form Metroid Metal? Or are you the originator, co-founder? How did this all come about? This this kind of started by accident um, back in two thousand three. 
I decided that there 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 were not enough rock covers of the Metroid uh, songs specifically. Mainly the the title screen music on the first game. It's just such a good song. Yeah. I played it again after so long, uh, and played a lot of music since I had played it the first time. Uh, and so I I was like, this needs to be done. So I just did it. I just took the melodies and kind of screwed up all the rhythms and and uh, put it online and people seemed to dig it. So then I bought the URL and the rest is history, man. So, so I, I am I'm indeed the founder and and main dude in the Metroid Metal Apple Pie project. You're, you're main. You're you're like the Trent Reznor of the Nine Inch Nails. You are the Grant Henry of the Metroid Metal. That's exactly right. He's the Trent of the and I am and and I'm the Grant of the MM. That's and, right. And I'm the Indeed. Wiggly of the Trapdoor. It's the same type of thing. We we release music and things like this with the spirit of the group in mind. Oh, you know it. But you, you also know it, now so so what what uh, what what are your main composing instruments? You mentioned guitar. It's the standard uh, standard array of rock instrumentation. You got you got guitar, bass, and drums, pretty much. There are a couple of other little things that show up, but it's pretty much the. Uh, it's made to sound like you're at a rock show on some other planet with a bunch of Metroids in the audience, um, <laughs> starting pits and whatnot. Now, um, what was the first Metroid that you played? The first Metroid I played was the first Metroid um, back in, I guess it was 87-ish. The first game, I think, where you side-scrolling game where you could actually go left, um, which I didn't realize till later, I think. Oh. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that was definitely the first one I played, and it's uh, it's it still holds up considering that it was one of the first of its kind. Yeah, that was the first one I, I got into. Fantastic, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and now you've also you're also taking this on the road, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, somewhat. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing because the the, the there are there's now a Metroid Metal live ex, I guess ex, experience. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. And uh, so we're not really we're not. It's a it's a crew of of, of us. Um, it's it's five guys, including myself. And uh, but we all live in different places. Um, uh-huh, two, uh-huh. two of the one of the guitar players lives in uh, New York. One lives in Pennsylvania. So we've had to sort of pick and choose our performances appropriately. We we've, we did a, uh, a a really cool festival that goes on in in D.C. every New Year's called Magfest. That was our first one, which was this past New Year's. And what does um, Magfest? What does uh, I'm not familiar with that. What what do they do there? Talk about magnets. Yes, magnets and lots of things video game related. Oh, Mostly okay. magnets, though. You can uh, you can read about it on magfest.org, but it's essentially a really a really cool, tightly knit um, kind of a pseudo con, all focused around gaming. And they they do the whole slew of tournaments and have a, a sick room full of free arcade cabs and concerts and you know speakers and panels and all that kind of stuff. It's a little it's a little more lightweight than something than some of the bigger ones that have been around a long long time. But it's really it's really really fun and it's a it's a great time, and it's it's a it's a great event for the East Coast. So. And, the, and the big news is that you're going to actually be live at what they call the PAX. Now, PAX sounds like something you don't want to get, but this is actually the Penny Arcade X. That's right. We we got PAX, and we're actually quite happy about it. And so. PAX thinks uh, you know the PAX is uh, mutu- it's a mutual admiration society going on here. Yeah, they're excited yep. to have you. You're excited to have them, and it looks like it's going to be a perfect fit. A lot of other great bands on the, on the pack schedule. Uh, Miley Cyrus, I don't. Yeah, know. Miley's there. Yanni's <laughs> going to be there. Um, yeah. Probably not per- performing, but I think he's going to be taking taking a taking part in a, a tournament of some kind. Probably but, uh, selling yeah, the, his uh, CDs. There's, 
there's a there's a pretty good pile of musicians some from from years prior i know jonathan colton who's no, most known for his uh the, the ending credits for the portal game ah, okay. um, just kind of a, a big deal at the time and kind of kind of made a lot more people aware of him he's performing freeze pop is performing yeah big um, freeze pop fan Yep, uh, Anamanaguchi, which is a pretty interesting uh, mashup band with uh, with chip tunes and guitars and drums, and uh, so they're 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 going to be there. And there's a, a nice pile of groups. And oh we're, yeah. Luckily, luckily we're a part of it, man. I'm yeah. I'm excited to be a part of it. I, so. I I really like the fact that Pack is really trying to do something with these concerts. I mean, this is this is pretty uh, this is pretty happy. It's featured prominently on their their website. You can go to packsite.com, p-a-x-site.com. September fourth, two thousand. 2009, 4th through the 6th. Now, when did you start playing uh, the musics? The musics? Yes. All of me, all musics? Uh, I, I guess I, uh, I I picked up the I picked up the, the guitar probably in like, uh, I don't know, maybe like 4th grade-ish, but didn't really play seriously because nobody else did. Uh, I just played, you know, video games with them, and then I ended up picking it back up in high school and just kind of went from there. So. I see. And I... And, and during the times when there wasn't a lot of people to, to play with, I did a lot of recording on my own, just... Uh, multi-tracking and, and and stuff so i gotten used to the the concept of of layering on my own and so that's kind of where the whole how the project got started is i'd already started writing songs and doing things on my own playing all the instruments so i was kind of already set up uh with the gear and and what what know-how i had to to start this whole self-produced metroid metal thing right so, on what did you used to layer as you say what what did you use to record on always on computer or did you start on a four track eight track good question i i started with a four track um a cassette four track yeah uh and then i ended up upgrading to wait 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 for it a a cassette eight track aha oh man oh man that's the real deal oh yeah i was I was an analog chauvinist for a very long time, and it it, it probably like how how many minutes uh, could you do eight tracks on a cassette? Probably like uh, ten minutes, twenty minutes on a tape or something. It's it's about fifteen, I think. It records on both sides of the tape at one time, right? Just right. kind of odd, and it, and it uh, records very fast as well to get a higher quality, I guess. Yeah, you always know you've if you found an unmarked tape and you put it in your <laughs> tape player, you can always tell it's not meant to be put in that. Oh yeah, player. plenty of those laying around my house as well, and I of course, you. no way to get any of that off there anymore because all my tape players are gone. Right, right. Yeah, the the uh, interesting thing is the uh, the the first uh, pile of songs I did for Metroid Metal, all of the songs from the NES soundtrack. Uh huh. All of those were actually recorded on that 8-track. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I, I did mix it to the computer. I did a little bit of basic compression to make sure it was as loud as I wanted it sure, to be. But sure, it was, it was later that the, the um, I wanted to put more instruments in. I wanted to get a little crazier with the composition uh, of each track, and I just couldn't do it with the tapes. It wasn't happening. Plus, I my mean, headphone jack started breaking... <laughs> And I ended up ripping the cord out of the back of my sound card by accident, and had to get a new new uh, adapter. It was just a mess. So I was like, "Well, it's time to it's time to put it away." So I've uh, I've since upgraded to a to a setup where I record, of course, directly to the to the computer. So. Very good. And I and I, I like the fact on MetroidMetal dot com that you also have uh, original MIDI tracks there. Yeah, I think it's important for several reasons to compare. The tracks to the original versions, because because I don't. There's a lot of songwriting that goes into these songs. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not straight covers. Right, they're right. kind of 
reinventions, and some of them are, are, are more accurate than others, but all of them are accurate. Like, all of them have the melodies from the games. They just may be covered in some other new parts that to try and fill things out, because, you know, a lot of these old tracks didn't have... I really wanted to do every song from the original game, the all of them, even the ones that were just kind of noisy. So I had to, you know... So, so But it's cool, if you put them next to each other, uh, you really can tell. And some people... Um, can't tell some people can will listen to like a more recent track and like i did a song from uh prime 2 metroid prime 2 torvis bog and i had this conversation with a guy who's like he's like i just don't hear i don't hear any of the original song at all and i was like well oh. if you if you take the original and you take the mp3 of the song and drop them on top of each other they literally go exactly with each other like wow. they are to the note exactly the same but i guess it's just after you pile on all the heavy drums it kind of kind of drowns out any ambience you might have gotten from the original song so sure but uh, and, and uh, I, I thought you meant the opposite i thought you meant that people heard both versions and they couldn't tell the difference because i would have i would have kids that would come in and you know say that they couldn't tell the difference between the sony playstation and the super nintendo graphics and things like that right. so, uh, right. i was like wow i guess something there's some type of level uh that you get to uh of maturity i guess where your eyes sort of interpret things different and you know uh, listening to your work you you can see that your ears uh, i've noticed this with a lot of people too have you know you you understand song composition you understand uh what goes into a song the production of a song it's not just i hear listen to the lyrics and you know a guitar solo so. no it's 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 instrumental prog rock uh right heavy prog rock i mean it's the kind of thing where there's some people that probably might appreciate it for, you know, the fact that it's it's the you know, original music. Some people might. Then there are people that, you know, are just metalheads that might like it. Uh, and then there's some that don't like it at all. I mean, mm. it's kind of like you know, it doesn't go with Metroid. Wouldn't work in a Metroid game. It's like, well, <laughs> I'm not see. really making it for one. I'm kind of doing it just because I like the series and yeah, thought it yeah. So so it's very interesting. Hey, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> hey, remember that song, Metroid. Yeah, it was it was pretty good, man. Um, had a had a pretty sick beat to it. Yeah, I don't know why you don't hear that anymore. I think it's uh, I think everything everything comes around again, right? So, uh, you know, keep your keep your ears on the airwaves. Yeah, someone should bring that back. <laughs> the Metroid. The Metroid. Yeah, I, disco. I mean, Metroid yeah. disco. You know, we we've been, uh, we've been looking into Metroid Polka. Uh, I don't know huh. what you would think of that, but. Uh, you know, no, the Metroid. Okay. All right, Stinky, get out of here. Yeah, you know what? It's confusing. Some my aunt was at a picnic with me, and I told him about this story before uh, we did the show today. That she asked what type of music I was doing. So I, I got a couple albums, and they're you know disco, disco punk things like that. She said, "Oh, someone should bring that back." I, I did nine years ago. I've been doing this. <laughs> right. uh, I don't know. He gets things confused sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, it's all good. Now, what moved you so so much to make Metroid Metroid Metal happen? There must have been was, was there any or it was just as simple as I wanted to do it. Well, there are two things. Um, I never would have wanted to cover cover the music from a from a crappy game series. So the first thing is obviously that Metroid is actually a, a very it's a very credible. Nintendo franchise yeah, and I've cool. enjoyed I've enjoyed almost every one of them. So the fact that I like the games helps, right? Yeah, I don't um, think there was really that bad of a Metroid ever. I mean even even a pinball wasn't that bad. 
No, I wasn't a big fan of the pinball music, but I love the game. I wasn't really a fan of Hunters uh, too much, but... Ah, uh, yes. That's, that, was that's a little, a, that was rough. Yeah, that's a sore spot with me. But uh, I, 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 if, I, if I get emails uh, asking if I'll ever do Hunters music, I do tell them that no. <laughs> that's where you draw the line. That's right. And now, uh, what, what, did you, what did you find from doing this music? Did, you, did anything surprise you? Like something that you thought would be easy actually wasn't? Well, it, it reminded me that, well, I guess I learned this doing it, uh, but this music was not written for guitar. I, I will say that most game music is not written for guitar. It's just not, it's not intuitive. It doesn't, it doesn't work on, uh, it, there's a lot of stuff that's chromatic, which is essentially mm. one half step at a time each direction that's just runs that go forever that just are not normally what you would do on guitar so it's been kind of a it's kind of become kind of an adventure to not not just learn but be able to perform some of the uh the leads in this in this stuff and i you know i'm not the guys that i've got to play with me are so much better than i am as far as guitar playing and uh it's they they they're both in the two other guitar players are both in game cover bands so they're used ah, to this okay. they're used to it right jumping right jumping systems and games and, and franchises and genres and you know and so they're used to playing these wild melodies so i've essentially given them the ones that are just way easier for them to play i mean i had their parts where i could only really play it you know once or twice and get it down and never touched it again um, sure sure and then there's you know that whole thing of playing while standing up ah. i mean who does who does that right <laughs> And really? trying to rock out when you're doing it because you know most people aren't doing that when they're composing. But yeah, I, I learned, I, I found that out as well when I tried to just do Super Mario theme. It's uh, there's there, like you said, there's a lot of lot of a uh, lot of note ramblings. Yeah, they were they were made with uh, with clicks and with uh, and with a keyboard uh, or an actual keyboard or a reg- or another or the other kind of keyboard, not guitar. So it's kind of it's it's pretty apparent. So that's one thing that I've I've learned. It's a pretty big deal, and so when I, I have a, a better appreciation of some game covers I've heard, because I'm realizing what these guitar players are having to go through to do this I right mean, on. Like, with with accuracy. So, do you ever try an alternative tuning, like the frip frip tuning? Uh, not frip tuning, but I have done alternate al- al- alternate tunings for the sake of playing some riffs. Okay, There's a sure. riff in the uh, in the Space Pirates song that is this wild, like three or four octave diminished arpeggio thing and i could not play it i could not play it because it goes all the way up and all the way back down over and over and over again it's nuts so i so i ended up having to re i ended up retuning this is completely cheating but you know i didn't edit it in at least i did this but i i uh i i tuned my guitar to an open chord diminished and Ah. learned how and played it a different way so i could actually pull it off now the guy who's playing this live can actually do it live which is great that's kind of nice and uh i plan on buying him a uh, you know a, a bottle of something nice after packs for doing <laughs> that good. for me now for wh- what's a stemage i hear about stemage all the kids they have the shirts oh, kids have shirts uh no yeah crazy. crazy stemage is my handle for everything i do that's music related okay. i have i have like a project of original music that goes under the stemage stemage name so very good kind of kept that needed an artist to go along with the uh the metroid metal stuff and i had a blog called stemage for a long time and i just kind of kept it and that's kind of where it came from lovely well it's a delight to talk to you i'm glad i finally got a hold of you and uh uh, great to have you on i would have liked to ask you more about games but i gotta go 
much. It's all so, right, man. Thank you for having well, me. Maybe we'll have Appreciate you on it. after PAX. Tell us how that went. Tell us, uh, you know, how it went. Ha, 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 hubba, hubba, like that. Right. Sure. Right on, right. man. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us, Grant. Bye. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Wow, wow. Grant Henry, we opened the show. We talk games number six, of course, with Metroid Metal Theme. We will close the show with Super Metroid Prelude Theme, both by Metroid Metal. Grant Henry, check them out, download, support this guy. This is some great stuff. Gonna do Ralph, press the button. Ralph, back on the line. Hey, what's up, Wiggly? Yo, man. Hey, what have you been playing? I know it's been a Wii. Uh, no, playing the Wii, Wii Fit. <laughs> no, I been, no, I haven't been playing the Wii Fit. All right. Um, what have you been but, playing for your adult 360? Adults for my, only. For my adult 360, I have been playing Prototype. Okay. Which, which is an awesome, awesome game. It's from Activision, and the developer is Radical Entertainment. Yeah, now we had your buddy Kyle talking about this on the last show, but you played through, I guess. Hold on. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I played all the way through the game, and uh, and I and I really, really, genuinely enjoyed it okay. very, very much. I'm not gonna say it was fantastic from beginning to end. Yeah. I'm not gonna say it's gonna change your life, but as far as getting sixty dollars out of a game, <laughs> I think I got my sixty dollars worth. Now, now you you also have the PS3, which which you're mad at right now. Uh, yes, so we are not on speaking terms. Yeah, so so you're mad at another adult system. Did you play Infamous, and how does this compare? Um, I have not played Infamous. Ah, okay. Okay, well, I retract I will, that question. No, 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 it's all right. I will say why I haven't. I haven't played Infamous because I feel that when I see pictures of Infamous or when I see video, it doesn't seem like anything that I want to get into. Hmm. I like That's, it. You did? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, but, but like you said, it's not it's not roses all the way through. Okay. All right. You know, there, all right. There's some really really cool parts that you can't do in any other game, and there's some oh. other annoying parts that uh, are annoying. That's why they're called that annoying. Yeah. It seemed a little too censored for me. Maybe I, I like the salvage violence of Prototype. Okay. That uh that got to me, but um, as far as Infamous, it seems a little too. Rated. Is it a rated mature game? If can you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they yeah, they okay. drop some f bombs and or at least they say poo. <laughs> the S word or something. Well, um, maybe that was it. But uh, prototype, it, it just—it seemed like it was more my cup of tea. Okay. In Infamous, you can go around and suck the life out of purely innocent people. So yeah, you can you can be you can be very mean if you want to be in that, and, that title. And unlike most games, it has that it that have the sort of um, 
the moral challenge that mm-hmm. you have in most games. You can either be really good or really bad. Right. They they don't present that challenge to you in prototype. Okay. They throw that out of the way so you can just have fun doing everything that they set up. You don't have to make choices into whether to kill this person or to save this person. Different stuff like that. You just you go and whatever your objective is, you get it done by any means necessary. I see. And that's what I think really opened up the game where I didn't have to make these bizarre choices or I didn't have to do something and then save the game and then do something else to see the other outcome. You know, (laughs) I just had to just keep playing and keep playing through. Okay, okay. Prototype. Prototype, it's uh, a game that the it has a story that is very conspiracy theory driven story. You're this guy who has had something done to you. You don't know what. You wake up one day and you have these powers. Okay. And you don't remember anything. You're trying to figure stuff out. Slowly but surely, things start to come back to you as you suck people into yourself because they have these things where you have to go and it's called the web of intrigue and you pick up certain people and you suck them in and you start to get your memories back about what happened to you and what happened to your loved ones and how you got picked and different things like that right right. um not the greatest story ever told but it it keeps you going but it's very secondary to the action in this game okay the action is exactly what drives this game and boy is their action from the start they don't they they do it they do do like most games and they show you everything that you're going to be able to do they do it like god of war and all uh-huh. those other games so you how strong and powerful you're going to be but it's only for about two minutes and then you go back to square one i see oh right right so you start out all powerful and then you gotta then you and start then, from zero gotcha yes exactly and then slowly but surely you start killing and doing these different missions to uh you know find out who you are and your powers start growing the more people everybody with every person you kill you get these things called evolution points and you spend them on um upgrading yourself i don't know how a guy spends points on upgrading himself but you as a player can spend points to upgrade yourself and there's many different upgrades there's like so many upgrades in this game it's unbelievable okay along with that when you suck somebody in you can turn into them so when you when you grab somebody you consume them that's what they call it in the game they call it sucking in right. but when you consume a guy you can actually turn into that person so with that you can infiltrate different bases you can um hide out and basically get away from situations that seem like you would never be able to get away from you also have these little challenges around the city where you have to use some of your powers to uh, beat these challenges and uh, when you beat them all you get an achievement point that's basically what kept me um, playing the game is these challenges okay with the challenges the thing about them is that they see like they seem obtainable they're not so hard that you don't seem like you could finish them all like the the grand theft auto once you get to a certain point it seems like okay this is going to be impossible i don't even want to try to do this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in prototype you would keep trying and you would almost get the highest level from your first try with a lot of these things okay and it didn't seem like it was giving me giving it to me or or anything like that or just making it ultra easy it seemed like it was something that with the skill that i had come with Mm -hmm. this is how I, i was able to obtain these um 
these high levels of challenges and stuff like that. Right on. Yeah, so uh, it really felt uh, really felt fun. If I can talk about um, the me- mechanics of the game, this guy, I think his name is Alex Mercer. He moves swiftly through the city. Okay. Like running away from from military and running away from uh from it infected is what they call some of the what they call the infected uh people or or creatures in the city. Running away, this guy is fluent and and there are a couple hiccups sometimes you f- you feel like you're getting stuck or you can't move fast enough going around corners sometimes seems bad. But as far as just motion, jumping from building to building, running across buildings, floating across buildings, it's just it, it just flows, and 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 once you get the hang of it, it'll be something that you do just like you did in Spider Man Two, where you just swung around the city, yeah. and that's what and that's what I would do for like maybe the first thirty minutes when I turn the game on. I just run through the city, and it was so satisfying. Now that's something you definitely can't do in Infamous, because this guy sticks to everything, so anytime you're trying to get around quickly, and you accidentally jump, all of a sudden you're climbing up a wall or a telephone pole or something like that. That's, that's the only thing. I think it moves a little slow. Now, when you when you go and you do like the electro, like mm-hmm. electro, uh, when you, you go on the, the rails of the railroad cars, then you can zip along that, um, and, mm-hmm. you know, like Electro did in Spider-Man. But besides that, you mostly get stuck on walls and stuff like that. So. Well, that seems uh, it seems pretty cool. And when I saw and when I first saw Infamous, I will say this: I maybe I was just a little biased. Maybe I am with the whole PS3 thing, but it, it just didn't seem like the whole electricity thing. Just him being hammered down that electricity is his power and stuff like that. Mm. It didn't seem like it was something that, like, once you get past the electricity, it might be something that you're just like, okay, it's a novelty or something. Yeah, no, yeah. But I, with I this guy, it, with with Alex Mercer, yeah, he has an array of powers. He has uh, tentacles that he just he busts in the ground and they spike back up. He can turn his arm into a blade and he just starts slicing stuff. And um, uh, this one commercial, and this is what gave me a fever pitch about it. This one commercial, they show him running towards something. You don't know, but there's like people everywhere in chaos. And it's all in-game footage. And he's running really slowly. And there's this classical music going. And then he just does like this diving headfirst bomb. And he just, he flies through the air, and then, like, at the end, like, the crescendo of the song, he blows up this tank from, like, a mile away. And I just thought that was, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen in a, in a long time. And and along with, like, uh, different moves, like, a, like the elbow drop, the oh. guy can run up a building, like, all the way to the top and just do an elbow drop from the top of the right, building. Right. Yeah, that's what Kyle was saying all the way down and it's just like I mean it, it never gets old it never got old to me I mean even though I don't, I'm not playing the game anymore it never got old while I was playing it I wanted to keep doing it and, and it almost gives you so much moves to its own fault uh-huh. to where you don't feel like upgrading like I for, I had to search to find out because there's an, uh, an achievement for upgrading all of all the weapons and everything and I had to search for things that I hadn't upgraded up- upgraded 
because I thought, man, there's no way this guy can get more powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and he does. Um, I will say the fault of some of the um, the moves that you have is that they don't work on bigger enemies. They're bigger, affected enemies, and some of the moves just don't work. You can't do the big power bomb and different stuff like that. It seems like a lot of the moves that they put in the game were meant for these little lonely, like... Um, the grunts, the fire. Yeah, the grunts and the just the people that are running in chaos and like the the police officers. Mm-hmm. Now fighting those guys, they're like fighting nothing. They're shooting at you, but it's not it's not really hurting you. If you're playing this on normal, it will take a lot for you to die. All right, man. Well, we're running a little long. We're gonna have Ooh. to jump right into uh, jump right into your system that you recommend and your three favorite must have title threat system. I I can't even begin to guess what system <laughs> you might th- recommend to people. Well, I was going to say I just picked up a ColecoVision. Ah! And, and I, I was waiting to get that Jump, out, but no. Jumpman no. Jr., number yeah, one. Exactly. All right, what do you got? What do you got for um, us? I'm going to say the 360, and there are the three games you must have. If you're going to own a 360, okay. if you have one now and you're listening to this and you don't have these three games <laughs> and you're not planning on getting these three games, you might as well throw them up, your system out the window. <laughs> I'm advocating it right now. Right on. The first game you should have is Halo 3. I got the, it. The uh, game that built the Xbox 360. Okay. I haven't put it, it in my system yet, though. You have not put in Halo 3 into your system yet? No, nope, but it's oh, on my it, shelf. Oh, wow. Um, The second game is going to be Gears of War 1. Now, you only like the first one. Now, I only like the first one, even though I still play the second one. I only like the first one because it it, it opened the doors for what I thought an online multiplayer is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Or what I heard when I heard that people had been playing games would play the same game for years and years on end. And, and when not, you when you look at it, it it's it really says this is a next gen game. Mm-hmm. Now I got the yeah. same sensation and a, and a more so a more compelling sensation from another mm-hmm. title on the PS3 that I hope to talk about in future episodes. But definitely on the Xbox 360, when I saw Gears One, I thought this is really something special here. Exactly, exactly. And my third game is going to be Call of Duty Four. Which is what I believe to be a very, very, very extremely great game all around. Multiplayer campaign. It always stays exciting. And it shows you how a multiplayer is supposed to be. It's supposed to be put in place with like a a normal first person shooter. It has a great community. They're always putting out new maps. Always keeping it fresh. And it shows you that you can make an exciting war game with a story that doesn't have to be extremely like historical, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can come up with a story that, that's that's close to real life, but it, it it can still be you know believable, and it works. The mechanic works, and the guns they're they're updated guns, and 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 just excitement. That's what our Call of Duty Four is. So those are my three games that you must have if you have a three sixty. Right on, man. Well, hopefully we'll have you on in the future. We can talk about uh, other titles that you've been playing. And, uh, hey, thanks for calling in, Ralph. Oh, I called you. No problem. All right, man. See ya. Peace, Wiggs.
Super Obama fan Ralph. Ralph, a little something to diverge from us oddballs. We have Ralph on. Check out Ralph and his 2 a.m. podcast, Two Angry Men. You can find them at angry2men.podbean.com. And now the moment I know I've been waiting for. We got him in a queue. Let me press the button. Let me get him on. George Gomez. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Yes, sir. George Gomez, the innovator, the man that single-handedly uh, <laughs> tried to save pinball, but unfortunately, George Lucas killed it for us. <laughs> now, I guess you, I guess you had uh, it was more. It was you, you, Pat Lawler, and uh, both came up with Pinball yeah, Two Thousand. It's, it's, it's far from you know. It's far from single-handed. Sure. Um, there were uh, a lot of people in the Williams Engineering Group that gave it a shot. I think collectively all those people deserve as much credit as, as we typically get. Sure. But the force was just too much. George Lucas killed pinball yeah. in the United States of America. Well, I don't know if it was George so much, but I think that license that you're referring to, which um, which was essentially the second game in the series, yeah. kind of didn't live up to expectations. No, and so. I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners, they're, they're quite in the know. Uh, of course, Kyle and I, we both really love the, the movie Tilt. Right, the battle to save pinball. That's yeah. it, battle. So the battle to save pinball, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, great movie. What a compelling story. I mean, it doesn't have the make-out factor of, like, uh, uh, King of <laughs> Kong, but f as far as passion goes, I don't think there's been a, any other movie on... You know, our passion, that is is as uh, compelling, I think, as as uh, that movie was. It's definitely a great movie. And this is something that really didn't penetrate the market, obviously, um, right. to to even, you know, a lot of uh, gamers that were in the know. A lot of people don't know about Pinball 2000. Yeah. Well, the product, you know, I mean, Pinball as a whole, you got to remember the reason we were trying to save it is because there wasn't so much of it out there. Mm. And... The environment in which pinball has operated in, the traditional environment that it operated in at the time, was changing and shrinking. That's still the case today. The success of, or I should say maybe the survival of pinball in the last six or seven years has been inside of a new market that's been very affected by the economy. I, I don't know if people are aware of this, but when Williams went out of business, a lot of the traditional business of pinball went with it. And, um, and Stern Pinball, in order to survive, had to break into new markets. And that one of those new markets was the home. You know, a lot of people were putting pinball machines in their homes. Sure. Of course, it was a time when um, explosive economic growth in this country was leading to, you know, everybody's building a house and putting a rec room in that house. And if you're doing that, a little Americana, you know, the uh, the jukebox machine, the pool table, and the pinball machine, maybe an upright video game were all a great fit into your rec room. Oh, yeah. That's really what drove the market in the last few years with with the economy tanking the way it did mm. and those rec rooms not being built anymore. Uh, it's, it's affected pinball dramatically also. Sure. Um, pinball has always managed to figure it out somehow. I think 
right now there's you know there's new things being thought about that hopefully will keep it alive as i looked more and more into uh, your history i mean it, it, it's pretty amazing i think that you are responsible for some of my favorite titles uh, or at least had a hand in them in, in some way and i really think that you have because of of how you got into it and how you approached uh, video games pinball machines and things like this i think you've really probably have the largest collection of non-mameable video games and experiences, I think, that of pretty much any developer. Uh, you started back in the 70s. Right, the um, late 70s. October of 1978, I walked in the door at uh, Midway Games. And and it's amazing. The, the naivety that you brought with you, I think, really propelled you and and i mean i think there's two ways that you could probably become very very successful or prolific one is to be naive about things and the other is to be a total you know douchebag uh <laughs> type of person and i think you know it's that it's that naivety not knowing let's, oh i can't hope, go <laughs> yeah let's hope i'm not the latter <laughs> right, right. I, we, we may have had some people on the show that were but i, I don't think you are that's for sure because uh, you came in there thinking i want to design the whole the whole machine i want to do the marquee art yeah. I want to it's, do everything. It's, um, it, you're right. You're right. I think that that uh, a combination of factors sort of kind of propelled me in that direction. One, for sure, you know, when you're 22, you don't know a lot. And yet, you know, you're not aware that you don't know a lot. Sure. So you don't even know what you don't know. And at school, their job is to basically tell you that you can conquer the world yeah. and to try to prepare you to to do that. And so those guys did a really good job of convincing me that I could design anything. I really didn't know that I, you know, how much I didn't know when I, when I walked in the door at Midway Games, but, you know, they gave me a shot, and I put a lot of energy into it, the kind of energy the 22-year-old kid brings to the table. Sure. I think my passion for the product that drove me into the business, that's not unique. You know, that's like, I've seen that so many times. The guys that I met later on in my life that mentored me in, in, in the business. Mm -hmm. Those guys, they came into it with equal naivete and equal passion, uh, maybe less training or maybe training in a different area, but guys like Steve Ritchie that certainly made an impact on my pinball design skills in, in terms of his mentorship is a guy that got into it with an equal amount of passion and an equal amount of naivete. That part of it's not unique. I was employed at Midway as recently as uh, December of 08, and there were kids coming in the door every day that brought that passion for the product to the task of designing video games, and they were equally ignorant about the the myriad problems and situations and how much they didn't know, but yet it didn't matter. They, you know, every day they came to work and every day they, they put their heart and soul into what they were doing. And some of those guys eventually are going to be the guys that you're interviewing 10 years from now, sure. 15 years from now. Right on, right on. Cool. Let's uh, jump around a little bit here. Let's talk about pins a bit. I have a lot of favorite pins. Uh, eight ball, probably because of the Fonzie Pinky on there. Xenon, of course, from Bally. Attack from Mars. I like the original one. I, of course, mm -hmm. I, you must have had a passion for that as well. But then I, I find out that you were on the team for Monster Bash, which yeah. has definitely got to be one of the most fun pins there is. It's my favorite amongst the products that I've designed. Batman's a second is a second favorite, and, and I just did that. Um, okay. You know, last year. I wish Batman had. I wish we had had more time because designing games in the modern era doesn't provide for 
the, the long development cycles mm. that were the norm at, um, at Williams Electronics, you know, and so I'm sitting here staring at my Monster Bash right now because it's in my living room, and, um, you know, I just had people up here yesterday playing this thing, and then, you know, they look at the, the row of pinball machines, and I always direct people to the Monster Bash because it's, it's, it's really the kind of machine in which you manage to entertain people immediately it's very playable instantly, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of feedback happening, oh, yeah. and people are having a good time right away. There's not a lot of struggling to get to the point where you're having a good time. Great games also allow for the game to go beyond that and to continue to challenge you as you play into it, and Monster Bash does that. Yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings does that. Monster Bash does that. Revenge from Mars certainly does it. Mm. Revenge from Mars brings a wealth of elements to the table. It does it differently than, than traditional pins, but and that's I think it accomplishes the same thing. Yeah, and what a different world we'd probably live in if a Monster Bash would have replaced the Star Wars Episode One as the, the second Pinball 2000, because Pinball 2000, really, that allowed you to fully realize the narrative of the pinball table. There's been a lot of stuff said about the storytelling and, and the character, the persona of a pinball machine, you know, the, the Black Knight basically mm. um, challenging you for your money and, uh, and that kind of thing that, that sort of Steve ha- uh, kind of kicked off many, many years later had evolved into a lot more storytelling. And, and Pinball 2000 was in some ways a natural progression. It was the merger of two mediums, one of which to this day is um, every day video games are being made where the storytelling is more and more uh, an element. You know, my generation was very happy with passive entertainment. We, we read books and watched movies and watched TV. Generations sense us, obviously I have a foot in both, but the generation mm-hmm. sense us, you know, they want to affect the outcome of the story. The guys that I was designing video games for, it's not enough that I would entertain them with the mechanics of play. They wanted the story to progress. They wanted to be told a story. They wanted to be an interactive book. It was a story that they could affect the ending of. And so what Pinball 2000 allowed us to do is it allowed us to take this inherently fun play mechanic that is, is just the simplest part of a pinball machine which is, you know, stay alive by keeping the ball in play. Mm-hmm. The number one core basic rule of pinball. Don't drain. And, and, and then it allowed us to weave in all this other stuff to kind of evolve on the basic premise. Yeah, gone were the were the rubber up and downer guy. I don't know. I don't know all the technical terms for yeah. every element of a pinball machine. But gone was that, and in its place was whatever the most powerful beyond what video game graphics were at that time. You could reflect down onto the actual pinball field the best that silicon graphics could deal in in uh, the late nineties, uh, early two thousand. Yeah, I gotta tell. I mean, I gotta tell you that that was a talented crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it's. Um my job was strictly vision, vision and leadership. I think that's what you can hang on me, but there was hundreds of creative guys mm. supporting my effort, and their ideas are all over the product. I you know, they, they, you know, um, you know, I mean, an artist would come to us and say something about some concept. You know, Scott Slomiani said, let's spoof fighting games with um, right. a giant Lincoln robot that's fighting an alien. And when we... 
you know, hit the targets, they'll fight. And just stuff like that was coming from everywhere. It was coming from all the guys in the department were making a contribution because people were excited about the premise, the promise of what it was, mm. and uh, the ability for the thing to do so many different cool things. Yeah, it's, it's right. really so, wide open. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned generations and the generation and then this generation and spanning those generations because I do that as well. I grew up in the 70s, uh, couldn't wait for the summer to come to drive down to Knobles Grove and, and go into the arcade there where we had a lot of the mechanical games. You know, the, the, you'd yep. shoot against a, a real six-foot mannequin. That was a game. Yep. You shoot against him. Uh, there were bubble games with the two boxers inside of a bubble. Sure. Um, and then a game that I loved to play when I when I first saw it back in, in the arcades. I was getting a little bit older at this time, but in 78, you actually designed the spear gun for Blue Shark, yeah. which I knew immediately. Yeah. And I remember playing Blue Shark the first time because I was like, wait a minute, this isn't the game that I played when I was younger <laughs> where like I saw like a shark going around in red blood and everything. What's going yeah, on I have, here? I have to tell you, my contribution was pretty small there, but okay. um, I mean, I, I walked in the door and... Um, it was the first project that I was handed. It was an exciting time because the big industry trade show was in the fall mm. every year, the AMOA show, and it was in Chicago. And I, I had no idea what, I was, what was in store for me. AMOA shows always happen in the fall, and for the fall, always a really nice time here in the city with just kind of the beautiful, crisp days and, and just the changing of the weathers is interesting. And I always associate fall with those AMOA shows from my, my early time in, in the game business. And I, I walked in the midway. I did not know what insanity I just parachuted into. Uh, they were preparing for an AMOA show. So there was uh, the engineering department was turned upside down, scrambling to get all these products ready to demonstrate at the, sh at the trade show. And I was a kid, didn't really know much of anything, obviously, but I had a lot of ideas and things, and they didn't even know what to do with me. They, they literally, they put me in the mechanical engineering department just because they'd never really had a guy with, with kind of my skill set there. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, well, he draws and he makes things, and, you know, that's kind of what those guys do. And, and so... Um, <laughs> You know, they sort of threw me in there, and I was handed this, uh, it was actually a Taito game. Blue Shark was actually, you know, designed by some guy in Japan at Taito. Mm -hmm. It was really simple, black and white fish swimming around, and, you you know, you tried to shoot the fish. And the game needed a gun mechanism, That a video gun game is what it really was. Mm -hmm. And they just wanted somebody to style the spear gun, you know, which is which is sort of the task that felt to me. And, yeah, well, my boss is a really guy. good guy named Al Ryan. He was really pivotal in terms of my education. Mm. I quickly figured out that, you know, you have great sketches and great drawings and stuff, but the guys in engineering, if they didn't like you or they didn't like what you were doing, they could easily poke holes in them and, because they knew how to make stuff and, and you didn't. So what happened is I quickly figured out that I had to be able to defend my stuff. So when I had an idea, I couldn't just draw the thing. I had to tell them, okay, you know what? It's going to be a sand casting, and we're going to make it this way, and then we're going to machine this, uh -huh. and we're going to add this here, and et cetera, or whatever it's going to be. It's going to be an injection molded part, and you're going to make it out of ABS, and, and here's how we're going to do it. And, and you, had to, you kind of had to take it that way. Otherwise, somebody was going to tell you no. Yep. You know, they were just going to say, no, I can't do that. You know, can't right. do that. And, right. and if you didn't know any better, you basically just had to go back to your corner and draw some more. And, and you know, nothing would ever happen. So, but 
um, this guy who was my boss was pretty good about sending me around. So like the gun for Blue Shark was of sandcasting, an aluminum sandcasting. So he literally he called the guy who ran the foundry in this horrible industrial area in, in the bowels of the city of Chicago, and he said, I'm sending you this kid. Um, give him a tour. <laughs> and so this guy bought me a hamburger and, and walked me through this foundry, and I got to see how aluminum sand castings were made so that when I went back into the studio, I could, you know, I, now I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And, sure. and so and he did that repeatedly um, throughout my early career, and that really made a lot of difference. Uh, and eventually, I, I ran into the same kinds of roadblocks with electrical engineers and software engineers because when I wanted to play in their sandbox, they were very protective of it, and they would just make it basically unintelligible or try to make it unintelligible so that you could, you know you couldn't you couldn't understand what could or couldn't be done. You know, eventually, I had to go learn something about that stuff in order to be able to communicate with them and, and convince them that yes we could do this or, or or no we couldn't my real breakthroughs in that are in that arena happened because the group of guys that i was working with at the time there were a lot of us that were frustrated game designers and um because we were being allowed to make to evolve somebody else's stuff but we weren't really being allowed to design our own games and and there was a really smart hardware guy, uh, electric, electrical engineer by trade, designing the electronic hardware that, that supported the video games, and a really smart software guy who wanted to, you know, write game code, but, you know, nobody would let him. They, everybody would say, yeah, and then he would show up with a thing that looked like a box moving around on a screen, and everybody would go, what's that? And he'd say, oh, it's a tank, can't you right. imagine? And they would go, like, yeah, not so much. <laughs> and so, so the magic was when the three of us got together, and I could make the tank look like a tank. He could make the tank move. And when we needed more horsepower to do the thing that we were trying to do, the hardware guy could jump in and, and spin us up a board that did what we wanted. So that's how we got to do what we did. It wasn't kind of in our day-to-day -day jobs. It was just something that, out of passion, we were you know, learning and figuring it out and, sure. and trying to make it happen on the side kind well, of thing. What was the first game that Midway, that you brought to them and they allowed you to do it and ran right. with it? The, the first game was a game that this guy, Bill Adams, that eventually rose to run the, um, the software group, and he's the guy that was the key architect of the Tron software, you know, many years later. Mm. He, he had a game idea for a game. Uh, he didn't have a name. He didn't really have characters he he was very interested in creating a very evil boss and so you know one day he came in and he said let's make it satan and so uh. you know he and so the game was satan's hollow and okay. so you know i drew the bird patterns and and atish the the hardware designer had designed this hardware set that nobody was using because the companies r d groups had their own proprietary hardware dave nutting and associates in mm. arlington heights and um arcade engineering down in um Fort Lauderdale, you know, they, they stuck to their own stuff. So Atish was just a young guy right out of IIT that was basically an electrical engineer design, trying to design hardware and, and looking at what other people were doing. The Williams products were big RAM-based systems. They were an Intel house, and we were a Zilog house. And so, you know, he just kind of went through um, and did what he could with uh, a Z80 and, uh, mm. and came up with a thing called the Midway Card Rack 2, which is the hardware set that, that powered most of the 
the games that we went to build. And the first, the very first game to use that hardware set to go out the door and actually be mass produced was Satan's Hollow. Oh, very good, great. That was a, that was two megahertz processor, I think. No. Yeah, it was uh, not not not. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you can you could. Uh, you could do a bang-up job with a cell phone nowadays. <laughs> yeah, know? and it's it's amazing, especially, like, even the backdrops, I think, of Satan's Hollows were very nice. I love the background and the, the mood that that inspired. Yeah, the nature, you know, the nature of his hardware set was that um, there were basically two graphics planes, and, okay. and the, the, the front plane um, had this bazillion moving objects uh, capability, and the back plane was intended to be a static plane that you would basically creates backdrops and static art on and um it was half the resolution of the foreground plane um which wasn't saying much it was i think 16 by 16 pixel sprites and the foreground was twice that i've told the story many times that he used to come to see me and he'd say things like this new hardware set is going to have 4096 colors and uh the only thing that makes Johnny Carson's face look like Johnny Carson on TV is the fact that there's all those colors available. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd say to me, you can use 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah, it reminds say, me. What? Of, you know, that, what are you talking about? I got 4,096 colors. I can pick any 16. That, that's, a, that's exactly, that reads like right from the brochure of uh, like the Genesis and the Turbo Graphics when they would say how many colors they could do. And then, you know, we could only display 16 on the main character. And was, yeah, uh, that's right. So I mean, that's like, yeah, stuff. I, I, you know. I gave him no ends of uh, grief about it, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, I used to tell him, I said, why don't you just go to the store and br- go buy me the 16-color Crayola box, and I'll <laughs> see what I can do for you. Fantastic. <laughs> you know? And what what made the transition happen from from Midway to going into doing pins? So I was at Midway, like, probably uh, seven years um, from the time I graduated, uh, you know, from the time I walked in the door there in October of October 78 to uh, sometime in 84, and the business had tanked. It had pretty much gone away. Part of my job duties, somewhere along the line, there was an external invention company, toy invention company called Marvin Glassman Associates that had decided during the boom in video games that they needed a piece of that action. They were a bunch of creative guys, and they were used to inventing all kinds of toys for the major toy companies. Then they used to approach uh, Bally all the time with pinball features. Mm-hmm. So they thought it was a natural that they should jump into uh, video games. So they um, approached Midway, and um, they had some beautiful storyboards for games. And Midway said, you know, these are just kind of pictures, and you know, they really don't tell us if the game is fun. It's a great scene you have here. But if you really want to do this, you're going to have to develop the games just like we do. So they were serious about it, and they decided that they would jump into it. And part of the, their learning curve was that sometimes they would have issues with different things that we did, like how to use this particular tool or, or what does this hardware do and that kind of thing. And I had been sent over there a few times to help out on you know, just this or that. And so I'd gotten to know them, and I was very impressed by uh, the way they worked and the environment. So when, when the business tanked in 84, I, I still had a job at Midway, and I was probably going to be one of the last guys that they let go if, if they ever let me go, because had, they had a lot of respect for me at that particular moment in time. You know, I had a lot of games under my belt and just kind of had done all the things. Can you just, just rattle off a couple of the 
The well, big ones by that time, um, you know, we had from Satan's Hollow, you know, we, we got lucky and, and we had progressed to Tron. And mm-hmm. then uh, after Tron, I had Spy Hunter. And in the meantime, I was kind of shepherding a lot of the creative efforts in a lot of different areas. So I had, a, I had my fingers in a lot of different pies internally. You know, I did an electromechanical baseball game called Big Bat. Oh yeah, loved it. Um, I, I, yeah. I mentioned it was really uh, hard to play, but you know, I, you know, it's, they were very inconsistent. So some of them played really well, and some of them didn't. And and I, you know, I struggled, but uh, to get it to get it right. So I was kind of all over the map. You know, I was designing cabinets and theme things, and every once in a while jumping on a game, and I was doing fine. But I didn't like. I just. I just had a bad feeling about the way things were going. You know, it was mm-hmm. 84. It was, I mean, it was really dismal. Sure. The company was shrinking fast. There were a lot of layoffs. There really didn't seem to be much of a future for the business. It, it was tanking on all fronts. The coin-operated game side was tanking. The consumer side was tanking. You know, it was just, my friend Lyman would say it was a tank fest. But um, anyway... Yeah, it was it was really crappy. So I I called Marvin Glass and Associates and said, "Hey, can I get a job as a toy inventor?" And they said, "Well, you come in and interview like everybody else, and and if you get through the interview, you know, we'll see." So so I interviewed and they gave me a job and and I designed toys for the next five years. And then after I designed toys, uh, they, they the firm broke up. And when the firm broke up, um, I, had, I sort of had a bad taste in my mouth because I. I really liked that job. Sure. Um, did you have anything to do with Max Steel, the robot, at all? Because I no, love Max. No, uh, I did okay. not. Right. I didn't. Just taking wild stabs at some yeah, of the toys. Yeah, no, they, I, mean, I mean, they had, I, the stuff I did, um, actually, I just put uh, I just put a video the other day up on my Facebook page, because oh. people are always asking me for stuff, of um, these trucks that I did for a company called Galoob, called Crash and Bash. Okay. And okay. The, the TV commercial for them is, is, is up there now. Nothing to do and with then, ricochet um, racers, though. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. But I, you know, I remember all that stuff sure. you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. great stuff. After Glass, I didn't know what I was going to do. Ended up on my own for some time. Eventually, uh, hooked up with one of the companies that I was doing a lot of work for, a manufacturing company called Grand Products. that was building a lot of Japanese games. It was the late '80s, and and a lot of that stuff that was coming over from Japan from. Sega, Namco, etc. It was too expensive to ship entire, the entire video games, especially no. those huge Sega sit-downs over here. <laughs> so um, Grand would, uh, con- you know, they were contract manufacturer, and um, but they needed somebody to like kind of redesign the stuff over here. I see. So the only thing we got was software and and a hardware set, and then somebody had to do all the other stuff, and so I did a lot of that. In the meantime, I was I took on some other projects. I did some work for uh, BattleTech centers and you know just mm. different different projects. I did some consulting stuff in the toy business for friends of mine. Somewhere along the line, I I, I decided I, I need to show game ideas uh, because I was really bored with the production stuff that I was doing. Where you know I'd take a take a Japanese drawing set and you know reinterpret it essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I. I really was not having a good time doing that. I kept trying to show ideas, and I remember that during that time, pinball was hot. It was like it had become the go-to thing uh, after the video game crash. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like the video game crash. There were only two things that were alive. 8-bit Nintendo was beginning to make its presence. Yeah. 
felt, and um, and then uh, pinball was all of a sudden interesting again. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was the early '90s, and uh, pinball was was hot as a pistol. And I was showing, so I looked around and I was so well, I know all these guys. Um, so I would show product ideas to uh, Williams, and Capcom had come to town. They wanted to build pinball machines. And when they set up, they raided Williams, and they took a bunch of designers and a bunch of people. And, uh, headhunters. Um, the guys at Williams always were very polite. They always looked at my stuff. They always said nice things. But the reality was that, you know, as a guy inventing a feature, it was really, really unlikely that a company like Williams Electronics, that was a, a designer-driven company, was going to take a feature because... The designer inside of Williams had his own ideas, wanted sure. to do his own thing, so why would he use my feature? Mm. Um, so they always looked at the stuff, but they never bought anything. And um, when Capcom came to town, they were designer light. And I had I'd done some novelty stuff. I did some of the development work for Lauren Bromley's Rock and Bowl, and I did, uh, mm. I did a uh, helicopter inside of a... Like the old, like the old Whirly Bird, I, 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 I remade it into a thing called Hawk Avenger. It was, uh, remember, it was the first Gulf War, and um, and war themes were were popular at that time. And so I did that. I did I did a bunch of other kind of novelty things, and that had sort of brought me to notice amongst the Williams designers. So they mentioned when Williams Williams wanted to be. You know, they wanted a piece of every every element of the coin-operated market, every aspect of the coin-operated market, and they were kind of light on novelties. Every time they tried, they sort of got their asses kicked because mm-hmm. they really weren't that focused on it, and they tried to do it with the sensibilities of pinball, and they really, you know, it, it just wasn't the thing they were good at. So they, they offered me a job um, actually designing novelty games. I was going to be the novelty game guy. I see. I went to work there and started working on a novelty, and I was a designer in the midst of the the pinball design group there, and and the pinball design group there basically ran the company. I mean, they those guys had so much power, for good or for bad, they influenced the fortunes of that company directly. When I landed up there, it was like, essentially, there were seven design teams, and each design team was like a street gang, and... Mm. Uh, you know, and and you know the little street gangs were allied to big gang bosses. You know, and there were two two big gang bosses. You know, Pat Lawler and um, and Steve Ritchie. And you know, you kind of saw on one side of the fence or the other. I see. I see. Um, I parachute in between the Bloods and the Crips up there, and and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, what the hell? And I'm the novelty game guy, you know, which is like a you know that's a talk about a bastard stepchild. <laughs> so. I tried my damnness to get a novelty game to happen there. I couldn't get any model shop time. I couldn't get any resources. You know, it, 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 they, they wouldn't hire me any people. You know, it was just uh, it was a nightmare. And slowly but surely, they started to need pinball because of the, the drought that had been created in terms of production by the Capcom guys stealing design teams. Mm-hmm. And so, so there were holes in the schedule. And... Um, they they slowly started shifting me in that direction, and one day they just came in. Ken Sedesna was running engineering at the time. Just came in and said, "Hey, do you think you can do a pinball machine?" And I, and I was like, "Yeah," because instantly it would legitimize me inside the you know even if I didn't gain respect immediately, at least the product was a legitimate product inside the company. Right. They knew how to 
you know, they knew how to design it, they knew how to produce it, they knew how to sell it. The, the reality is the guy goes in there to sell the Williams pinball machine, and he opens, you know, he's talking, the salesman's talking to the other salesman, and you know, he opens with the, the Williams pinball machine. Um, after he gets done talking about the highlight pinball machine, he talks about the, you know, the also ran pinball machine, because typically there was a Williams-branded game and a Bally-branded game. After he gets done talking about the second game, then he starts talking about the Midway video game, um, after he gets done talking about the Midway video game, then he might talk about the service department, and then he might talk. And then he might give the guy a Williams pen, and then he takes him to lunch. Yeah, yeah. And then, then on his way out of the bathroom, walking back from the car, he says, "Oh yeah, and we've got these novelty games too." <laughs> so, so I was like, okay. So I, I really don't need to be there. Yeah. I need to be where the action is, and the action was in pinball. So I see. Yeah. I jumped on pinball. Um, you know, I picked a theme that I, I sort, of, sort of knew, cars and, and, and Corvettes. And yeah. um, uh, Pat Lawler, turned out, was uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, was a fan of Corvettes, and he had already talked to the licensing department about getting him the license. So the very first thing that happened is I went to see Roger Sharp, and I said, hey, Roger, I want you to go get me a Chevrolet Corvette license. And... And he just kind of laughed at me, and I was like, "What? What now?" <laughs> and he says, "Well, you know, it's it's reserved for the king." I was like, "It's reserved for the king? Which king?" Mm. He says, "Well, yeah, not the not the king, the king, the other king." I was like, <laughs> "You know, because we used to we used to call Steve Ritchie the king." Ah, gotcha, but, gotcha. Uh, so I'm going, "Oh, great!" So Lawler's got it reserved. So Roger, you know, is like wringing his hands and enjoying this conversation. This is going to be interesting. The new guy is going to go sit down with one of the street gang bosses. He's got to go see the Godfather and get permission to make this. This is going to be fun to watch. I, I called on Pat, and, um, and he was very gracious. He said, okay. He said, you know what? It's your first game. It's, it's important that it be something that you are passionate about and that you understand. And I believe that you, you know, those two are true. The only caveat is that I get to do the next one. And I said, sure, no problem. So I was very excited. I went back to see Roger, and Roger was, dis I think Roger was a little dismayed. He, <laughs> wait, wait, let me, are you sure he's going to let you do this? <laughs> and I said, call him, call him. So, you know, I'm sure that, I said, oh, no, I trust you. I'm, I'm sure that as soon as I walked out of Roger's office, he picked up the phone and called Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so uh, I was off and running. I really good guys worked with me on that. My good friend, uh, Tom Copera, a mechanical engineer by trade, had uh, apprenticed for me at, back at Midway. And then they gave me, I lucked out, and they gave me another guy who's uh, over the years become a great friend of mine, uh, Tom Uban, uh, who was going to be the software guy. And so the three of us uh, sort of set off and running. Well, they gave me some date, and I guaranteed them that I was going to make that date. And you know, I made the date, and that was the, the start of pinball. I have to say, I took a little detour with my next game. I wasn't really paying attention to um, the significance of, a th of the theme. I was a fan of Johnny Mnemonic, the, the fiction, mm -hmm. uh, a fan of William Gibson, the author. They said the movie was coming out. Keanu Reeves, he was on the, he was hot from the speed movies and um, et cetera, and uh, there weren't a lot of licenses in that in that time frame that were like just jumping out at me, but the company was really enamored with the notion of it should be a license. It's got to be a license. Mm -hmm. Neil McCaster came down to see me one day because he heard that I wanted to do an original theme, and he was like, no. He says, you know, 
this is going to be Sony Pictures Entertainment backing this movie, and you know they're going to put twenty five million dollars in advertising behind it, and we're going to we're going to ride the coattails of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a horrible movie <laughs> production. It was a crappy decision to uh, put Johnny Mnemonic in a pinball machine. But that being said, I, I you know I really like the game. I, I like what we did with it. We just got zero mileage out of the license. Sure. And the other thing was, you know, it's kind of like in the beginning there, I didn't really understand the entertainment of a pinball machine because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of those guys that came up playing pinball, dying to make pinball. Mm -hmm. Pinball to me was, it's a super cool toy and I get to make this cool toy and that's what drew me to it. It wasn't a traditional love of the game, like Steve Ritchie, you know, playing pinball machines on the beach in California it drove him to want to make pinball machines. So in my case, it was more like it was a situational you know, thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this company understands and knows how to make pinball machines, so that basically this instantly moves me into the majors, and it is a very cool toy. And so I really wanted to make this cool toy, but I, I didn't understand a lot at that particular point in time about the mixture of elements that goes into making a pinball machine. I was kind of, you know, as all designers do, even even guys that come from, like, the passion of the game thing, um, it takes some learning to sure. kind of get in it. And it's not, you know, it's like there, there is a component. I was probably way ahead of the curve in terms of understanding the kinetics of the game, understanding the, you know, the elements of flow, mm-hmm. um, understanding, you know, what mechanically I could do on the play field and, and the notion of creating some cool toys. I had already in, you know, in, in Corvette, I, I created two really cool toys, the racetrack and the, and the big engine. In Johnny Mnemonic, that little Matrix um, uh, um, tic-tac-toe game at the mm-hmm. top there with the hand and the magnet is really very cool. Yeah. Um, so I had that end of it down. The end that I didn't have down was the, the pacing of the game. And so the notion that the entertainment can't be one-dimensional. It can't be always hard-edged, um, hard-ass, you know, uh, action game. It's got to it's gotta blend some humor. It's got to create pauses in the entertainment environment. It's got to entertain on many, 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 many different levels. And, and so I was just learning that at the time. And from that perspective, I think Johnny is far from my most polished there are a couple of things in Johnny that I love. I love the keep all the plates in the air spinning game at the very, the wizard mode at the very top of the game called Power Down, which is, I think, one of the coolest, you know, to this day, one of the coolest modes in pinball. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the, you know, a lot, a lot of pinball guys hate me for it, but <laughs> the reality is that it, that it is incredibly entertaining, and when played well, it, it can be a it lot of fun. pays off. Well, maybe so, in that respect, you know, not wanting to design pinball, that, that sort of can help you as well because now you need to make something that you want to play, not being completely enamored and starstruck by just working on pins. Yeah, not, I mean, you know, and, and I think a lot, you. I think my games, my next game, I continue to beat my head against the wall to create unique and different products. And mm-hmm. my next game, NBA Fast Break, is, is a unique and different pinball machine as pinball machines go it is a pinball machine that has polarized the audience you know it's like there are i never ever hear that nba fast break is okay i only ever hear (laughs) that people love it or people hate it and so you know i was a basketball fan 
we had just had a layoff, the first wave of layoffs that hit the Williams Pinball Engineering Group. So it was the beginning of the saga that would play out four years later with uh, the, the advent of Pinball 2000, right? But we had just had the very first cracks in the foundation had occurred right at that particular moment in time. The company, uh, from a leadership perspective, was a little lost, and they kept asking for different things. So when I finished Johnny, I actually worked on a game called Armed and Dangerous, which never saw the light of day, other than the fact that uh, I think a lot of pinball people know about it uh, because I sold off the Whitewoods. And it, what it was, it was a three-dimensional version of Steve's old hyperball game. Right. Used these nylon balls, and I had these tanks all over a, um, a big rocky landscape, and I had a big rock in, in the back that looked like uh, a skull, you know, kind of like the homage to Skull Island kind of thing. And mm -hmm. he would rotate from the big rock face to become a mechanical robot face. And that particular device, by the way, which no one has tied this together, but I, I came up with that notion back then. I thought it was a valid notion, the notion of multiple reveals as you progress through the pinball game. And I just executed it with the Joker in, in Batman, and no one has actually made that connection. But that's really the Joker in Batman, the multiple reveals in Batman, came to me when I was working on Armed and Dangerous, way back between, you know, uh, subsequent to Johnny Mnemonic. So I was working on this game, again with my crew, and I, I missed the layoff by the skin of my teeth. I found out later that my name was on and off the layoff list, and I think that by that time, Lawler and Ritchie collectively probably saved my ass and kept my name off that list because I didn't have a lot of friends elsewhere. Mm. And they just had this layoff. I'm working on this thing. The day after the layoff, Neil Castro comes to see me and he says, you know what, this thing might, you know, might have legs. I don't know. It's kind of interesting, but we really don't know what to do with this. It's not a pinball machine. It kind of looks like a pinball machine, but it's a 3D gun game, uh, you know, with physical balls flying through the air, etc. I can't predict what this is going to do. But if you, do a, if you do a pinball machine, at the very least, I know I can sell 1,500 of those things, and I need to count on that number. So I need you for you to, like, switch and get into a pinball machine immediately. So I, we dropped Armed and Dangerous. It was a Friday. I thought about it over the weekend. On Monday morning, I came in. I called Roger Sharp. I said, get me the NBA license. We were having some luck across the street with the, in, on the video game side with the NBA license with uh, Mark, uh, Mark Trammell's uh, NBA Jam game. And so I thought, hey, you know what? A pinball machine with an NBA license won't be the worst thing in the world. And I, on Monday, I met with my team, and I already had the, the concept of, well, obviously, it's got to have a basket. I want to have some guys in front of it that can pass the ball between themselves, mm. and I can make a shot on basket from a location, and I'm going to have a defender that's, that's going to be driven by the machine that's going to work against you. I already had that all figured out. And I remember sitting down with Tom Copera, and he goes, wait, how am I going to get this ball? You, you want to move this ball through the air? And I was like, no, 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 no. The ball's not going to move through the air. We're just going to like, kick it over from one hole to the next. He was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. That was NBA Fast Break. Wow. And, and it, was, it was, I think one of my most controversial games just because it's I changed the scoring mm. everybody hated that <laughs> pinball machines don't score like this I know but it's a basketball game so you know why why am I, I'm gonna make a basket and I'm gonna get a hundred thousand points I, I, don't, I don't understand <laughs> it's uh it's, uh, it's amazing it's great stuff yeah um uh, revenge from Mars and uh, pinball magic 
um, Elvira. Oh, yeah, uh, great game, great game. Uh, those, those games were right in that time frame. They were going on around me. And the one thing those games taught me, I mean, the thing I learned from Brian Eddy, the, the you know, Attack from Mars designer, mm-hmm. uh, was the, the fact that thematically you had to entertain on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that Steve taught me. It's not something that Pat taught me because Steve's games are very, very hard. You know, they're, they're just, you know, it's like he doesn't want to, his, his, his jokes, they have to be, in theme, they have to be like kind of right there, mm-hmm. and and Pat's games are consistently kind of storytelling games, mm-hmm. and so and I was kind of in you know ether there between you know sort of between I you know Johnny was very hard like a Steve game very little humor, what humor there was nobody got you know <laughs> Fast Break was completely you know Fast Break you know I've been accused of yeah he's a novelty game designer that's why he designed NBA Fast Break mm. so. You know, when I started kind of getting a clue about the fact that the entertainment had to be a multidimensional, um, that's when I did Monster Bash. And what an amazing culmination of all those events that led up to that, what I consider a perfect pinball game. I love Monsters Bash. It is still my favorite pinball game. And I shudder to think that part of my life might have been ripped out by a pink slip. George, thank you for your time. We're way over. It's been an... Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a great adventure. But I do have to ask you two quick things. Number one, Hawk Avenger. Any inspiration for that from the game that I have no idea what it was called, but it was a mechanical back in the 70s where you were a helicopter inside of a glass case. Yeah, that's... Yeah, absolutely. Direct, direct inspiration. I mean, totally. The only thing I did was make the targets more, more advanced. That's great. That's, you're the first person that I talked to that knows it, not only knows of it, but uh, yeah. was inspired by it. Well, it was a Midway game. so ah, Amazing. It was, a mid, it was a Midway game before I worked at Midway. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. And the second one, is, and this is the big one for me, which could blow the whole thing or, or uh, push me over the edge. Environmental Dissotron, anything you involved with that, anything. Yeah, I did. I did that. I did that. Um, you know, we were we were high on the on the success of Tron, and um, I pretty much had a blank checkbook. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a game, and there's another game. You know, you can't maim that because what you had like a spinner knob that had three yeah. levels, and then and, and then your joystick. Now you designed that joystick, I think. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. That, that joystick was really. Um, it's amazing. Conceptually, uh, a. a, a a Dave Nutting idea. It's just I okay. basically uh, made it, you know, made it real. But for me, I really am going to be bored if I'm not trying to give you something you haven't seen. Yeah. I, I don't want, I just have no interest in doing another of. I just, sure. uh, you know. That's great. That's great. What are you working on now? I'm doing consulting work for a ton of different things. So I, I'm wearing a lot of hats. Some gaming products stuff, like, you know, like slot machine kind of things. Okay some coin-operated sort of peripheral kinds of things like, you know, photo booths and that kind of thing. Oh, right. um, some vending products like merchandisers and... Anything with, um, a, with a monkey that smokes a cigarette in it? <laughs> no. <laughs> or a little plastic dog? No. I love those. No, plastic dog free. Um, <laughs> okay. But, uh, um, yeah, all kinds of different things. I have uh, some toy things in the works and um, I'm still doing... Doing some um, video game art for you know one of the big guys. Uh, oh, good conceptual vehicle stuff because I'm good at that. Oh, great! Thank you so much to- for taking time out of your hectic schedule. I know you probably were watching the Dog Whisperer. You had to come on. No, it was me. Sorry. <laughs> 
the unmamable George Gomez. All right. See you guys. Wow. Is it possible to mark out for your own show? Three killer shows in a row with guests that I completely pop for. And, and now I have to get Hawk Avenger. I don't know how I'm going to find this novelty show. And now, since we talked about Blue Shark, now I really want to get Killer Shark, which is what I thought Blue Shark was. Killer Shark, of course, 1972 from Sega, which was more of a mechanical type of video game. It was the This was a, a game that you saw in the movie Jaws. You saw someone playing in Jaws, where it's actually some type of, of datalum disc uh, you know what that that's ever see that like a guy jumping over uh, hurdles this is getting even more complex it, it was a series of images and then it was synchronized with a strobe light but you looked at it, it was like a, a film of a shark wriggling back and forth and then you shoot it and blood would come out it was it was fantastic and music and I just remember a lot of great things in 72 and that's the game that when I played blue shark I thought hey this is the game I used to play and then when I played this thing it was this pixel it all comes around but speaking of coming around hey Remember episode one of We Talk Games Volume Two? Well, I do. Let's get Jaden Walker back online. Magic suck. Oh, all right. Uh. Lake Booby Poo Poo, go! Am I am I on? You are on. Jaden is back on the We Talk Games. We missed you since uh, so many months ago, but you're back on. What you been playing? I have been playing my iPhone more than any human should. Oh, okay, very Cause, good. Because most of the games aren't really good for long term play. Right? Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep that turning over. You gotta keep that fresh. It's like mulch. I like to call yes. it. Yes. Yes. Phone, phone. Yeah, I mulch. There we go. <laughs> hey, we're going to have a, an exclusive uh, game announced on today's show. So this is this is really cool. And Ooh, I, special. Yep. And and it's the first time ever. And I, I actually purchased my iPhone off of your, well, iPod off of your uh, recommendations. So I've been uh, enjoying that as well. You hear that, Apple? I want some free games out of this now. <laughs> uh, if only they'd listen. I know. Now, I've been uh, playing a new one that just came out uh, about a week and a half ago. Hold on. Gaming. Gaming. You can't even game your own can. Go ahead. It's uh, the new Space Invaders Infinity Gene. Okay. All oh, right. Yes. Saw this and uh, saw a lot of uh, people uh, talking about chatting this up. Yeah, it's only uh, five dollars. Everything that uh, Tato has been releasing has been uh, five dollars tops, which is a really good price for these older games. Yes. Mm-hmm. This one basically takes Space Invaders, and it starts out as the original Space Invaders, just white images of the figures. They're moving like they always did, but as you play each level, the game starts to evolve into something new. And evolution is the key word there, I think. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of evolution going on. Uh, It starts out, the enemies will start changing. Uh, They'll attack differently. You'll be able to move differently. There's new weapons. You can choose which gun you're going to use before each round starts. It just really gives it a whole new flavor that uh, definitely revitalized the game. Very good, very good. 
one really neat thing I wanted to mention about it, though, is it, uh, like the ones on the DS, the uh, Space Extremes. Invaders Extreme, yeah. the characters actually moved the music, but on the iPhone, they've got a feature where you can pick any song that you've got saved on your device, and it'll create a level to the music in that song. Oh, wow. Well, then that's worth it. Yeah, I played one to Snoop Dogg's Ain't Nothing But a G Thing, and they all moved perfectly to it. It was actually kind of creepy. That's great. That's cool. That's really cool. I look for the 99-cent game deals that go on for brief periods of time, and then I jump. And oh, so you've been playing the Hooters Girls Crazy Eights. <laughs> I have not. But now that you've mentioned that, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, it, it's the only Crazy Eights game on there, and oh. it's either the plain one or the Hooters Girls, so you might as well take the Hooters Girls. Hey, yeah, you know, you get two for the price of none. Just uh, don't zoom in on the cards too frequently or it will crash your system. I see, I see. Okay, well, I want to keep this show clean, so uh, let's uh, let's move on. But I've been actually playing Moondrop. Moondrop uh, is similar to... It's sort of like doing... Uh, Lunar Lander, with a whole bunch of landers coming down in rapid succession. And you think, well, how will I control this without thrust and and the different controls for rotating the ship and stuff like that? What you do is you just you touch around your, your ship. And it's, this happens a lot quicker than Lunar Lander. It also is a lot more forgiving than Lunar Lander. You don't have to be absolutely perfect when you land and how you stack up, and and you're really only shooting for a middle area to land in. But, like I said, sometimes you have like 15 ships coming down simultaneously. So when you touch anywhere on a screen, it, it would make all the ship's thrusters go. And where you are in proximity to those ships, you turn the ships based on where your finger is in connection with the the little landing pods and this gets really neat because you try to you get extra points for landing multiple ships at simultaneously uh, on your little uh, landing spot and it happens very quickly and it has a lot of replay value because you actually can get pretty good at this and there's there's uh, little bonus levels and things like this and then after you land your ships your little spacemen come out in complete astronaut regalia and they come out and they do little quips sort of like reminded me a little bit of Monkey Solitaire when I'm still one of my favorite games for the the Mac uh, by by a great uh, company as well uh, this one's by Nimblebit, so check out Moondrop it's, if it's ever cheap and you need a more modernized Lunar Lander fix that has a real speedy pace to it. Yeah, one of the neat features on that, uh, which I wish they would put into more iPhone games, is the ability to, uh, when you get a new high score, mm-hmm. post it to your Facebook or Twitter page. Yep, I think I think that is the future of these social networking sites. And, and you know, you say, well, why is Twitter limited to this amount of characters and things like this? And I think this is exactly why. You know, in the future, you have your Bluetooth toaster. You, it'll automatically twit when you make uh, certain types of... Oh, cinnamon toast! Yeah, it, it twitters it for you automatically. Hey, as long as it lets people know every time I have Belgian waffles, I'm cool. It would. What else we got, man? Other one I got this month is uh, for the Xbox 360 Arcade. It's the uh, Magic the Gathering Duels of the Planeswalkers. Great. Now, I talked about this in quite a humorous way uh, last month because I just I don't think anything will stop someone that loves playing Magic the Gathering from gathering with other people and playing. So I want to hear everything about this from someone that that understands the game. I I still don't understand it. 
Well, as far as people getting together to play, there is an online version of Magic the Gathering where you actually buy virtual packs and trade virtually online with other people, and there are big tournaments held online. Oh, I see. Uh, Personally, I don't get that version. I think that's a little uh, little extreme there. But the version for the Xbox, it simplifies everything. There's only, uh, I believe, eight to ten decks that you can choose from. And as you win matches with each of these decks, it'll unlock new cards for them that you can add in. Okay. But the deck customization is very, very minimal. You can play against, I believe it's ten different computer opponents that are represented by the different planeswalkers in the game. Mm-hmm. Or you can go online with any of the decks that you've currently uh, built up from playing to play against anybody on your uh, on your gold list. Okay. It's, it's just basic Magic the Gathering. It's a card game. Uh, you collect cards, you shuffle them together, you go with random pulls on what you're able to play. I mean, it's not easy to, to pick up if you've never played the game before, but it's not that bad. Uh, I've seen worse uh, tutorials. Okay, yeah. I mean, I I went through it, and I don't know, maybe I had a beer or something. I don't know why. It still still (laughs) didn't make too much sense to me. I was like, oh, well, as long as the computer's playing for me, I'm good. But uh, as soon as it's me on my own, I think I will fail miserably. But I guess if you know it, it's uh, just as good as uh, getting getting out your... Beats the heat, I guess. Better than being in the arena heat. Yeah, it's good for people like me that uh, play Magic for a living, that actually want to pick up a couple games during the week when everybody's busy and at work. Cool, cool. Sounds good. All right, and uh, now, as everyone is doing, all of our correspondents, I asked everyone to pick a system, a system of their choosing, any system, and three must-have titles for that said system. So what you got for us? Well, the easy choice for me is the Nintendo DS, because I own probably about 400 games for the system now. Wow. And uh, I've definitely got three that stand out from everything. Okay, very good. The first one was the game that got me hooked on the system. It was the uh, the original Castlevania for it, Dawn of Sorrow. Sure, sure. As far as uh, side-scrolling action games, this one can't be beat. It's got RPG leveling up built in. Uh, you're collecting the souls of all the demons, which gives it kind of a Pokemon feel. You have to catch them all. <laughs> And uh, it's just, it's a great game with great replay value. You can't go wrong with just about any of the Castlevania series on the Nintendo DS. And even uh, Game Boy Advance. I wish they could carry that over and and realize that that this 2D and adding the the little flashy elements and the game mechanics and everything else, this is what should be brought to the, uh, even to the next-gen systems. Maybe, you know, spice it up a little bit here and there, make it fit to your HD screen, go into the, the sprites a little bit more, but it's been a very, very successful series for Konami. Yeah, you think they'd realize with the great success they're having with releasing Symphony of the Night as a virtual download on every system. It's mind-boggling. What else we got, pal? We got, uh, let's see, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Sure. This definitely is a must-own title. It's centered around the very awkward story of a grown man traveling around the country with a little boy he's not related to in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and Never thought tra- of that. Oh, I couldn't get my mind off of it because it was so creepy. <laughs> but they go around uh, trying to solve a murder mystery. And as you're solving the mystery, everyone in town uses puzzles as a form of currency. And these are just totally random puzzles. I believe there's 200 in the course of the game if you try and find them all. And they can be anything from a riddle to 
uh, a matchstick puzzle where you have to move one of the matchsticks to create a different image out of them. Just amazing puzzles that just keep having you thinking. Some of them I solved in 30 seconds. Some of them I had to think about for days before I could figure them out. Yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing else like it, I don't think. No, I've never seen another game even close to this one. And the nice part is, after you finish the game, you can go online and download new puzzles. Oh, okay, very good. I think they released uh, 50 more to add on to the title. Wow. And then they have a sequel coming out here in the near future. So it's definitely a series that's going to be around for a while, thankfully. And, you know, and it appeals to everyone as well. I don't think there's uh, many players that uh, it wouldn't appeal to. It has, it has a little bit of something that everybody enjoys about the challenge of this title. Exactly. My girlfriend, who's not a puzzle fan at all, she would sit there and watch me play it over my shoulder for hours at a time, trying to help me figure out the puzzles. Even That's though she, great. every time I'd ask her to play it on her own, she'd say, oh, I don't want to play that game. I don't like puzzles. <laughs> every time I turned it on, though, there she was. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, man, wrap it on up. What else we got? Last one I got is uh, Pick Cross DS. Sure. Which, uh, this is my pick as the, uh, the new Tetris for addictive puzzle games. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, what you're given is a, uh, a grid that starts at 5x5 five five squares and moves all the way up to 20x25. 20 and along the edge of each row of squares is a series of numbers. And for each number, you know you have to fill in that many squares adjacent to each other. And then there's at least a gap of one or more squares in between each set of numbers. Mm-hmm. And you spend your time, you have an hour to complete each puzzle, and you fill them in and at the end you find a picture in it and again this is another one with uh when you finish all the puzzles you can download more it's got 11 levels of 20 puzzles each for the start of it and the sequel is already out in japan and coming to the u.s next year and it's now putting the uh the puzzles in three dimensions wow wow and I've already played a Japanese copy of that, and it'll mess with your head quite a bit. Oh, and and it, it holds up in 3D as well. Yes, it does. Oh, fantastic! Because you very, know, very, very well. I'm always worried about that. You know, I think of Blockout and things like that. 3D Tetris. You know, it was okay, but it wasn't. It wasn't Tetris. But um, I'm glad. Why that did this you have made... to bring up 3D Tetris? I had blocked that out of my mind. <laughs> hey, anything's better than shooting your Tetris pieces with the uh, the super scope. Valid point. Uh, now I will name my uh, pick from the Nintendo DS, and let me tell you, this was almost impossible. There's so many quality, there's so many titles for the Nintendo DS. Number one, and then sifting through the shovelware, shoveling that stuff out of the way. There's a lot. Uh, there's tons. There's many scoops of inf- fantastic games for this, this system as well. I'm, I'm gonna willing s- to bet one of your choices is from the Imagine series, isn't it? Uh, no. What would you think, though? I'd say Imagine a Rockstar. It seems right up your alley. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I, no, it's not, though, but uh, probably because I didn't play that. Okay. But it, Don't. W- but the, okay. But there, there, is, uh, there is music-related games, no doubt about that. But surprisingly, I, I had to forego a lot of my music games for other ones that I just think you have to have to have when you get this system. I think number three, I'm going to start with uh, Oenden 2. And of course, what was that in the states here? Uh, Elite Beat Agents. Yeah, that that's uh, 
but the Japanese version, I love the music, I love everything about it, so, so that's why I have to go with the Japanese version of that. Oh, even Oenden or Oenden 2, both of them incredibly solid, both on the same level of fun and playability. And even Elite Beat Agents is, is, uh, is a very, very fun game if you can't uh, get the Japanese versions. I'm going to have to go with number two with a real weird one for me to pick. Crosswords. What? What are you talking about? I don't know. It's the best crosswords I've ever played. That's all. I have to give it credit. I'm not a crosswords fan, and I enjoyed that game. And to me, it is like the pick cross of crosswords. Because it has some of the elements. I mean, if you think about Picross and you say, "Oh, uh, Mindstorm" or something like that, uh, no, that's a bad, bad representation of it. And there's so much more that occurs. And I think some of those really fun elements of Picross uh, were were embellished into uh, Crosswords. So that's why I really, really enjoy Crosswords. And my number one favorite, I think, has to be Clubhouse Games, just for the amount of games in it. And how you can play with uh, people next to you, and the the different genres of games that are are in clubhouse games, and and trying to go along, get all your markers and your stamps and things like that. I think it's one of the most fun uh, titles on there. Now there's a lot with a lot better graphics and everything else. That's why it's kind of unusual. My top two games are kind of simplistic, but I think that's what uh, the Nintendo DS is all about. It, it has a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah, Clubhouse Games probably has the most hours of play singly out of any game I've ever owned. And that's the thing. You can keep coming back to it whenever you have a few minutes or you have a few hours and drag this title out of the dust uh, closet. All right, man. Hey, thanks for joining me, Jay. It's great to hear from you again. Uh, And I'll talk to you hopefully soon. Yes, hopefully. All right, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. Jaden Walker... Twitter.com slash The Eternal. The Eternal, what's that about? Well, Jaden is a fancy, dancy disco machine himself. He's a great musician, great media creator in his own right. Speaking of media, speaking of the iPhone, speaking of Pinball 2000, let's get all that glue together. Who's going to bind it together? Let's do it right now. Let's get Greg on the line. (laughs) And I'm down again. Even for the game debut, we have to play the future of pinball. San Francisco, California. Greg Maletic is here to talk about his new game for the Apple iPhone. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Wiggly. I appreciate it. Right on. Now, let me take a guess. Now, I hope that this is some type of remote control device for my soda can RoboBug. No, no, it is not that. Hey, will it give me detailed instructions on how to remove the tracking device the government planted in my brain? No, it doesn't do that either. See, nobody planted anything in your brain, but I bet that both of those are close. If you use a very expansive definition of what the game does, then yeah, I guess they're close. Ah, I knew it. All right, well, why not, this is an exclusive uh, for us as anyway. Uh, what does it do? Well, it is a game, and it's called Wishing Stars. It's a game for the iPhone. Okay. And it is a GPS-driven game. You're basically basically kind of a scavenger hunt that you go on, but it takes place entirely at Disneyland. So if you're visiting Disneyland, you can use this game to go on various quests within the park. Oh, so and try and find virtual prizes that are hidden around the place. Oh, you don't have to buy Disneyland. You can just go there and use this, and then you uh, go on a scavenger hunt, and who can never collect them all first wins. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that's pretty much right. I mean, you buy the app before you go to Disneyland. You just okay. buy it through the iTunes store like you do any other kind of app. And you show up there, and then you pick these various quests to go on. The quests are kind of categorized in different ways. There are easy quests for kids and families. There are medium ones for the casual park goer and hard ones for the Disneyland expert. And you have clues that take you around the park. And the idea is in each one of these virtual locations that are tagged with the GPS coordinate, there's a clue that leads you to that specific place. And when you get there, if the phone detects that you're standing in the right spot, it gives you what's called a, a, a wishing star fragment. Oh, okay. And when you oh. get enough fragments together, you have you build a whole wishing star, and at the end of each quest is a wishing star. And so you're trying to collect as many of those as you can. Wow, that's really cool. Now, is this the first app out of the future of pinball? It's really the second app. The first app was something entirely different. It was ba- it's a little countdown calendar app that lets you keep track of important dates. But you know, it's not a game. This is definitely a brand new, brand new thing for for I was going to say us, but really the future of pinball is just me right now. So uh, yes. um, yeah, it's a brand new kind of app for me. Uh, this sounds uh, this sounds great. I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about it. And also, uh, this is a great tie-in with uh, George Gomez because you are actually the person behind Tilt. The battle to save pinball. That was you. That is correct. That was something I did a couple of years ago, and I'm still, you know, actively working on in terms of getting it out there and getting as many people to watch it as I possibly can. But yeah, I, I met up with George probably five or six years ago to do the interviews that appeared in Tilt, as well as the rest of the guys, you know, the Williams guys that appeared in the film, and that was a totally fantastic project. So yeah, I'm really, really happy with how that turned out. Did you cry when you were making it? <laughs> I. I don't know if I cried, but you know, it was. It's definitely an emotional project. I mean, I think I was pretty upset when I first heard that Williams was shutting down Pinball. That happened before I even started the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it, clearly, the guys were very emotional about the the thing they built, and you know, they put their heart and souls into it. And so, sure. you know, it meant a lot to them. And I think it you know, that comes through in the film. Oh yeah, it definitely tugs on your heartstring. And now it's now available in iTunes. You can purchase it in there and and see what. Kyle and I are always talking about. That's right. Fantastic, Greg. Anything else? Just the Wishing Stars game is going to be premiering on August 24th. Oh, okay. And so you can get it through the iTunes App Store. You can visit the website, the Wishing Stars website, to find out more information. And that is at wishingstarsgame.com. And the site is up now. And uh, the game is, you, you, you play it at Disneyland. There is also going to be a Disney World version coming out in the fall for people who are traveling to the East Coast. I'm going there so, in October. Going to Disney World in October? Yeah. Excellent. Well, you'll, hopefully I'll get it out by then. It's, I think it'll probably be out by October, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get you a copy. Cool. And get to work on that soda can RoboBug controller and, and tracking device remover. That is my next project. Right on, man. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye. What a treat. What a treat. And speaking of treats, I can think of no greater treat than digestives. Let's uh, let's go cross the pond. Pressing now. Magic suck will connect you. Magic suck. Why is it called the and a scarfy go then? Well, well, live from the heavy metal fortress of Innescarty that doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's. You know, I'm, I'm John. Hello, Johnny Capcom on the line. That's me. All right, John. What has been in your gaming console thing? 
Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. Well, that is not quite a long enough name. Now, what system is this for? That would be for the Xbox 360. Right on. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, are you playing this on a television? Or are you just doing it by Uh, radio? Oh, uh, I'm kind of using holograms. (laughs) You know, the high-definition holograms. They're HDHG. Yeah. And it's just, it's the next wave, you know? It is. It's, It's sort of like Sega's time traveler. It's the way of the future nine years ago. Uh, now, what have you really been playing this on? The PAL? Uh, it would be a PAL TV, yes. Oh, okay, so you're not really doing it in HD. Oh, no, I actually have got, I've got it hooked up through my computer. Oh, okay. Still installing the high definition and all. Okay, very good. You got and, all uh, your P's and your I's. Yeah, I'm running it something, something, something I. Sure, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I just like the fact that I can see it and move. That's... <laughs> You know. It's good. It's helpful to see games as you play them. So, what do you yeah. think about this uh, remix? Well, I mean, I, I don't think I really need to say anything about the physics of a Street Fighter game. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of knows how great they are, yeah. and that it's all about. This is all about the visuals, and they are worth those twelve hundred points. Okay, just everything is redrawn, mm-hmm. but everything is the way it should be. Right. So when Ken jumps and like uh, you know moves and whatever and i play with ken a lot okay everything is authentic and the same with uh guile and and bison and all these other people every all the movement is spot on and the backgrounds are the same but they're just gorgeously redrawn mm-hmm. right right and um it's just every like you can pick everybody from the whole cham- championship edition thingy like you can pick dj and fei long and all that Okay. I mean, I own Street Fighter Two on pretty much everything, and I will say, if you want to keep on to, to continue playing like regular Street Fighter Two, and you're happy with it, you may not need it. But I, I am like a completist with that kind of stuff, mm. and I this is probably the most gorgeous looking Street Fighter game I've had the pr- pleasure of playing. I mean, like I like Street Fighter Three and Street Fighter Four, but this Street Fighter Two has always been my favorite, and the sound effects and just the images and the pixels of that game have always been my favorite so this might might be my favorite looking street fighter just because it is gorgeous and it's high def and it's all redrawn and whatever and it's just very very nice and the, another thing that's great is the music is absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. you, you've got like all these different remixes done by fans from what i'm told of the game just and it's like you know you'll get like a heavy metal version of one song and you'll get like a trance music version of another and it just fits so well i mean i can't recommend it enough it's only like if you're in a good econ- economic area it'll only cost you 10 rubies or whatever so <laughs> So, I mean, you're good to go, you know. I mean, this game is just so good. And, yeah, I can't recommend... Listen, everyone knows how good Street Fighter 2 is. Yeah. And if you just, you know... If you just want well, What a, a about more, the controller? Uh, it works fine. Okay, very you good. You know, it works like Super Nintendo. You know, you got the oh, yeah. shoulder buttons for the fierce attacks and mm-hmm. then uh, face buttons for the weaker attacks. And uh, The only one thing I will say that is annoying about it, for some reason... Cammy is indestructible on it. Oh yeah, yeah, and like I can beat everybody else on that game, but when I pick uh, anyone and face Cammy in the first round, she demolishes me. I see. And uh, when when you beat her, you really feel like you've beaten her. <laughs> and like good. she does her, she'll jump from like 
one side of the screen catch you in some kind of scissor lock yeah. and take half your energy away in the I first five mind. seconds. I don't mind that scissor lock from an, an animated character with the stripes <laughs> on her legs and the high-cut trousers. Have you played this yourself? No, but I like Cammy. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I guess thinking about it. check out... Check out the movie and turn down the sound. You're yeah. one who plays her is a pretty solid representation, I guess. Very good, very good. What else we got? Uh, Geometry Wars Retro Evolve 2. Hey, Geometry Wars. Very good. What we got? Yeah. What do you think about this here? Uh, I think the, the clue to how good that game is is in the name. It really is Retro Evolved. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's, it is the evolution of all the old arcade games, and it's just... I have the Wii version as well, the Galaxies. Okay. But uh, if you want to, and I'd, I'd totally recommend to get that as well, which is because that's like uh, hundreds of like uh, maps and whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, I mean, this game was only about 800 points on the live service, and it's just, it's so good. I mean, I, I could play, if I had to pick, if I was forced to pick one game that I could only play for the rest of my life, I might pick that because I know I'll never get sick of playing it. It's just uh-huh. it's it's got the Robotron style controls, you know, where you mm-hmm. use one stick to shoot and one stick to move. Right. And um, the visuals are great. The music is fantastic, especially in on the King level, because in King you have to move. There's like these circles that you uh, drop into, and you can only fire in the circles. And then you have to move from circle to circle uh, because they all disappear. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're outside, you're just being chased by enemies, and you can't do anything about it. But as soon as you drop out of the circle, the music just changes. And when uh, you come back in, it picks up again. So it adds like this weird rhythm element to it as well. Like, you know. If you can get a second person in the room with you, try some co-op. Okay. Because uh, the one uh, before you're playing co-op, you one person will control the movement of the ship, and the other will control the uh, bullets okay. where you shoot. Yeah. And that is just frantic. Uh, that's that's my, a throwback, too, that type of uh, play mechanic. Yeah, myself and my uh, better half were here playing it, and we were just shouting at each other for the whole, like, two minutes we survived. Like, while I was moving, I was, like, shouting, shoot ahead of me and whatever else, and then she couldn't see where I was moving the ship. And, and it was just it was just frantic fun. It was, uh, I, I, again, it's only 800 points so that's like seven rupees if you're in a good economic zone you know or maybe if you're listening to this in the past when the world's economy was good you could get it for 600 or six six rupees you know it's it's all good to go it's all temporal economics will get you a good game for a decent price and and you know uh the the thing the trick to this really is is that xbox often has their Five dollar weekends and things like that. At least they do in the states. So you could always look for these games when they when they drop to that five dollar mark. Yeah, I don't know if we get those over ah, here. Okay, gotcha. The last game I'm going to tell you about, and that's a new, it's the newest release that uh, I've had the chance to play, and that's uh, Wii Sports Resort. Ah, so you picked that up, eh? Uh, no, I actually got to play it in work. Oh, at work. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I only got to play it for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, it was it was great because I was actually playing with customers in the store. Oh, we good, good. Uh, so I got to see like a bunch of different people play it while I got to play it myself, you know, as well at the same time. And it was just, it is really good. And I will say the uh, motion plus it 
I'm not sure if it'll live up to everyone else's expectations. It possibly will, but it definitely lived up to the expectations I had for it. Hmm. Oh, very good. I feel like it is one-to-one, you know, movement and whatever. I I didn't I didn't want to feel like there was any lag or it wasn't picking up what I was doing because that's it's supposed to be 100% accurate and I right. found it to be that in the time I got to hmm. to play and Amazing. the game it's the game itself is just a lot of fun. I mean, you can't really talk about uh, go too deep on some of the stuff because they're just supposed to be fun little mini games or whatever. But like the sword fighting is a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, I was watching one customer who was in the store at the time, and they got onto this level where basically there's like two hundred little me's running at you, all with swords in their hands, <laughs> and you're wow. just one one guy on your own, and you have to take them all out. Wow. So, yeah, it's like I, I can't. It's like being Conan the Barbarian or something. But you're yeah, little Frank guy. Miller going on there. Pilot Wings is basically on there as well. Cause oh, really? Section. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. It's like it's like a new Pilot Wings game because you okay. just fly around the island looking at sights and stuff. Oh, but as far okay. as I know, you can have dog fights and all, but you control it with your hand. Hmm. But you don't do like parachuting. You don't do anything like that or hang gliding. No, it's just a plane. A plane. Okay, very good. Very good. I was going to say, and the frisbee is just too good because you're basically, it feels like it's throwing a proper frisbee. That's the thing, I guess. Like, it's so, it feels so intuitive, like, you know? Uh, Just a little dog that catches the frisbee for you as well, so that just just adds a little fun element to it. And the basketball is great. Well, as soon as you said frisbee, the first thing that came to my mind was Nintendogs coming to the Wii, something like that happening on the Wii. Although, you know, I, I mean, it most properly fits on a DS because you take it with you. It's a little virtual pet. It's a Tamagotchi to the next level. Uh, but uh, I, I could see uh, see that sparking something in there uh, from Nintendo itself, not from a third party. And what else did you say was good? Uh, the basketball. Oh, basketball. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah, you do like... It's just like a... It's like when you, you do little free throws from like the three-point line and you move to different angles and stuff. But uh, it's like it, it amazed me how well it handled. Like you know, I was thinking, oh, how's this going to work? But uh, it really did, and like it really does depend on what angle you like. I guess pretend to throw your Wiimote or whatever you know. It, it, and it depends on the power and everything that hmm. you put into it. So very it's good, uh, very intuitive. Like you know, hmm. I mean, I, I don't own it yet, but I, I'm looking forward to it, and I'd recommend everyone check it out. And uh, as far as I know, the uh, the Tiger Woods and golf and the um, mm. the EA Grand Slam tennis f- using the uh, Wii Motion Plus is supposed to be they're supposed to be pretty good as well. So I'm looking forward to checking all that out. Very good. Since we're talking yeah. about Wii, I'll tell you what I've been playing on my Wii. Only one title, Deadly Creatures, finally dropped to the twenty dollar price point, and that was good enough for me. Uh, this is a game I've had my eye on for a long time, and why not? Because it's so bizarre. I, I briefly mentioned it in an earlier um, episode of, of We Talk Games, but you got Billy Bob Thornton and Dennis Hopper doing the voice for this. But you play uh, Spider, Scorpion, and a Snake. And I only am uh, at the spider part, and it's pretty amazing. You could find out more about it, DeadlyCreatures.com. This, this game is not only just a bizarre game, but what makes it even more bizarre is that I, when I was playing it, I was like, I'm playing this on my Wii. How odd for THQ to bring out this game where you're a little insect, arachnid, or whatever else uh, type of 
creature going through the desert, killing bugs, jumping on jumping on other bugs, uh, feasting, and this odd story of that's going on as a subplot behind you with with Dennis Hopper, and uh, of course very famous as as King Koopa of the Mario Brothers series, his most famous role, and Billy Bob Thornton of of course U Turn, his other uh, most famous role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you know here I am doing this, and I'm I'm like I, I have to keep reminding myself I'm playing a Wii. Now I know that we had you know more adult titles and things but this is just weird so uh now's the time to get deadly creatures if you own a wii get deadly creatures because you deserve to play something on your wii besides mini games and this is definitely a full story a fully realized story and um, i really see no faults in it it's a good it's is that a good, like it's a good play. Is it like a platformer or something like a for your own platformer? No, you it's 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 full 3D and uh, you crawl around the inside of holes, the inside of caves, and like I said, you you will attack uh, different bugs and eat them to replenish your supply. You you learn different movements to uh, as you are the different predators, uh, and you go against other. Sometimes, you know, you're attacking scorpions. Sometimes you are a scorpion attacking other things. And uh, you're just making your way through the desert to try to figure out this whole burying the dead or looking for something story that's going on with Billy Bob and uh, Dennis there. Are they the actual scorpions and stuff? No, they are two dudes out doing something in the desert and with a shovel and walking around. And they're telling a story and you overhear this in a distance. As you are one of these pests, I guess you could use <laughs> one of these deadly creatures, and you hear their story play out in the background. I actually saw the box for that, but I didn't know what the hell it was. Get it? it. Cool. Yeah, if it if it's if it's uh, if it hits at twenty, I don't know what that equates to in in uh, pounds and inches, but. Uh, about 17 rupees. Okay, very good. So if it hits that, I'd say well worth it, especially for the Wii, which is, uh, you know, light on things for, for the more adult crowd that, that wants to play a deep game, unless it comes out from Nintendo. This is by THQ. Enough said. So uh, like everybody else here, Johnny Capcom, name your system and the three must-haves for that system. Well, I picked the Sega Master System. Very relevant with today's youth, Master System. Uh, definitely. I mean, it's coming back. <laughs> it's not really mm-hmm. what it is. <laughs> but, um, the three games I'd recommend for that would be uh, Alex Kidd Miracle World. Okay. Have you ever played that? Yeah, sure. It's a great little platformer. Like I, I like it a lot. Sometimes I just but, read the instructional book. I like it so much. But, uh, you know, I mean... It's got a lot of character because when you're uh, when you clear a level, you see Alex eating a little burger. Because that's you know in Mario you you get a flag or whatever. Yeah. But yep. um, in Alex the kid, you get a, a sandwich. Yeah, it's good stuff. And that's what I like about it. And yeah. it's got all those weird rings and stuff. And 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 you you play the paper rock scissor. It's all good. Yeah, with the, the janking. Yeah. And you know, and those those middle those middle screens that used to be what you lived for. Uh, Pac-Land uh, had the most. Uh, Pac-Land terrible action platformer with Pac-Man. But seeing Pac-Man sitting on a lawn chair with a cup of coffee—that's what you played the game for. Yeah, I mean, and the feather in the hat. Let's we forget. Yes, 
He could fly I mean, almost. I mean, you know, that game added a lot because Pac-Man never had gloves and boots. And <laughs> it's hats, true. It, it made him more of a character, but it's those it's those cutscenes that were were really. And I mean, they weren't really cutscenes as as you think of in today's three D CG world. They were hand, they were hand drawn pixel art. So, but that was that was good stuff. Crater Maze, uh, I loved as well for for the just the little title screens and little things like that. What else you got? Uh, Mickey and the Castle of Illusion. Okay, you like that for the Master System? Yeah, of course, it's Mickey Rourke now I'm talking about, and ah. it's all about his addictions and stuff. <laughs> Except it's not really, yeah. it's about Mickey Mouse. Yes. It's fun. I, I remember me and a friend of mine played it to death. Hmm. And the, the, these games, I haven't played, I played Alex Kid Miracle World through an antenna system a while ago, and uh, it's... It's a lot of fun still. It's like it's too hard sometimes, but a lot of fun. But making the castle of illusion, I haven't played in years. Mm-hmm. But I just remember loving playing it so much back in the day. It was a solid title. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, I'm sure it was probably better on the Genesis or yeah. whatever. But I mean, I just loved the Master System cover, and I don't really know if I ever want to play it again because yeah. I don't want to ruin the memory. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it controlled a little better on the Master System. Yeah, a lot, a lot of early Genesis titles had those, you know, those those roller skate uh, controls where you're sort of you try to stop and you'd go a little further. Oh uh, yeah, like Wolverine Adamantium Rage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was just going to say the last title that I have, I haven't played since I'm imagining I'd say about 1992. Okay. But I, I remember a friend of mine rented it a lot, and we used to play it. And I remember just being kind of mesmerized because it was a ninja game. And that's Ken Seiden or Ken Seiden. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't even know how you say that. Yeah. I, I, look, go out and play it and tell me if it's any good or not, because it's another one I don't want to play just in <laughs> case it sucks. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that that withstands the test of time. But those are your three. Now, this is supposed to be your must-haves. This is, you're right. People are going to go out and buy. They're going to ask their toy store, hey, where's your Master System? I need Kassendon, the 50-cent yeah, game. All right. Tell they're the ones you need. You need these games. <laughs> Very if you want to be like me in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And, and who doesn't want to do that? And because uh, it's tradition for me to also name my three favorite games for the system of your choice, I will, of course, name only my three favorite Sega 3D Glasses games that you must have if you own the 3D Glasses. Number three. Um and you also need the light phaser for this one. Missile Defense 3D. Missile Defense 3D. It uses the light phaser and the 3D glasses. They're required to play this, and it's sort of like um, ah, it's a neat, it's a neat missile command uh, with the you know very nice uh, graphics. Uh, Master System really showing its strength here. But it's in 3D with the 3D glasses and also the light phaser to shoot at the missiles that will come in, and you must defend. Is it like Avatar, the new movie? Uh, it's exactly like that, although I have no idea what that is. Uh, of course, <laughs> you need the Space Harrier 3D. That's number two. Sega Scope 3D. Why did they call it that? Who knows? But that's what they uh, try to put on here. Put on your Sega Scope 3D glasses, and the screen comes alive with new 3D glasses. It's, it's your basic Space Harrier. Looks very similar to the TurboGrafx version, except that, of course, now it is in real 3D. So, uh, And sometimes the things 
look like they're on 3D pieces of cardboard. It looks like your pixel guy is on a 3D piece of cardboard that's moving through space. The hit detection is kind of a little wonky. But definitely, hands down, the most fun, I think, 3D game to play with the Sega Scope 3D, uh, 3D glasses is Maze Hunter 3D. This game is just basically a top-down gauntlet-style game. However, with the, the mazes look very pukerific with the 3D glasses on, and it's very compelling and easy to play. All around, probably the strongest uh, 3D game, I think. And because I mentioned Maze Hunter 3D for the Sega Master System 3D glasses, that has to shoot me laterally to my three top Virtual Boy games, beginning, of course, first (laughs) with Jack Brothers, which is uh, exactly like Maze Hunter 3D, except with more compelling characters, and all in red, of course. Uh, So that is the number three. Number two, Galactic Pinball. Who wouldn't want to play 3D pinball against an alien brain head with a hockey puck? That is, of course, number two. And a number one Virtual Boy game that you will ever want to get is Wario Land. Wario Land is... uh, is a really, really neat version of Wario Land. It's, it's basically your, your side-scrolling Wario Land. But the character, your Wario's huge. And then you also jump into a back plane and do your action platforming uh, on two, two different planes of playing field. So those are, those are your Sega 3D glasses in parallel with the Virtual Boy games. Just a quick question? Yes! Is Space Harrier, he said it's like the cardboard guy. Yeah. So would it, would it be like those old Captain America cartoons and stuff, you know, where, like, the comic book art would move yeah. slightly? As Jack so Kirby like- said, one day I turned on the television, all my artwork was on popsicle sticks. Well, I, I, that's enough of a recommendation for me. I'm going to have to go and get that. Yeah. It's if you, it's it's just something with the hit detection that that doesn't quite uh, line up properly. But you know, in in the world of of the 3D glasses games, I think that's uh, that's one of the strongest must-haves. All right, man. Hey, uh, stay stay on the line like that, and then we'll uh, bring you on for the the We Talk Games International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. Will do. Bye now. Farewell. The panel will be up right after this. Let's get Eric Alex on the line. Eric Alex, I, I like this guy. I really do. Pressing the button now. Three times as long each time. <sighs> Madison, go! Eric Alex! Wiggly. Yo, man. How's it going? Uh, the wet gag huh? flip, wet gag flips, flip gleases. They're dragging me down, man. They're dragging me down. But besides that, it's great. I mean, the guests, everything else, everything's going good. The most correspondence this episode, uh, as compared to any other episode. So, I mean, it's quite exciting. So, uh, what you been playing, man? Well, we're uh, in the middle of the summer doldrums. Yeah, it's so the hottest, hot, hot point. There's been nothing coming out. Right. So I went back to some old games for the original Xbox to play. Oh, great. I, you know, I was, I was recently playing, ah, uh, oh, geez, what was that cowboy one where you're like an undead cowboy? 
Dark Watch. Dark Watch, that's it. And, of course, you get to choose whether you're going to go for lightheartedness or darkheartedness. And so yeah. you had that whole, you know, choose your destiny uh, back with uh, that first-person shooter. And then some of those really, really cool uh, parts where you're, you know, you're actually on rails, uh somewhat where you're galloping and shooting yeah. at things hey you know it's not a bad not a bad uh, little uh, title there i did what? like that one i did i yeah, liked the, not uh, bad that was, it made the pistol actually a really good weapon because you could fan the hammer it was really fun yeah there, there a lot of a lot of neat things in that little uh, title as long as you don't get sick from those fps so what what have you been playing on the, the original xbox well, actually, I've been playing... These were backwards compatible titles, so you can play oh. these in your 360. Great. Playing a couple of games. The first one we were playing was uh, Death Row. And mm. this is a strange title that no one's ever played but me, as far as I can tell. It's a futuristic, violent sports game. The gist of it is it's basically basketball or hockey with a frisbee. Oh, okay. Sounds like uh, Bill Lamont's... Bill Lamar's... Uh Whatever that was. Speedball? Uh, no, um, the combat basketball. I talked oh. about it on an early episode of uh, okay. We Talk Games. Yeah, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty awful. But, so th- this sounds cool. I always liked games like this, believe it or not. Uh, one of my favorite 3DOs uh, games, Battlesport, features a soccer type of game with UFOs and ramps and stuff. So I'm, cool. I'm fascinated. What, so it's four on four, you say? Yeah, four on four. One of the buttons is shoot, one of the buttons is pass. If you don't have the frisbee, those buttons become punch and tackle or something like that. All right. I have a really weird relationship with this game. Whenever I'm not playing it, I remember that it's not that good. (laughs) And whenever I am playing it, I'm like, wow, this is the best game of all time. (laughs) This game is especially good if you play it co-op with somebody else sitting on your couch with you. Okay. Like on the it's same a, team, I see. Oh, that's that's interesting. It's really fun. You, you're uh, you'll see that your your friends got the frisbee, so you'll charge their goalie, tackle them, mm. and then you'll see the frisbee sail into the goal over your head. Uh, it sets up a lot of moments like that, big sports moments, <laughs> big sport frisbee moments. Sure. Right on. Hey, it sounds cool. I'm gonna check that out. Death Row. You could get this really cheap if you could find it at GameStop or something. I mean, $5 if you can find it. Hmm. The other game I've been playing a lot of is, this might be my favorite game just of all time in general. And it's a game that came out for the original Xbox. It's also backwards compatible. And it's called Jet Set Radio Future. Sure. Have you played it? Oh yeah, of course. I, I you know, all the Sega titles that uh, crossed over there from the Dreamcast, I fully enjoyed. Oh yeah, this was originally on. Well, this is the sequel to the Dreamcast game, and it had some uh, it had some improvements, but for the most part, the gameplay was the same. In it, you're a, an inline skater trying to vandalize the city, and that takes the cops off, and then you vandalize the cops. Yeah, and that's the general layout of the levels is like that. Just go through, spray paint all the spots you can spray paint, and then the cops show up, run from the cops. Yeah. And rinse and repeat. And do some tricks. Yeah. But everything about this game is just extremely entertaining. With the caveat being that you have to like the musical style of this game, or you're not going to like it at all. Right on, gotcha. But everything in it is just great. The, The characters are extremely agile. Uh, everything is very fast, which is, of course, Sega's trademark. 
the, even their idle animations are pretty fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the little two steps. Yeah, they'll do a little dance. It's even in time to the music that's currently playing. And the soundtrack is uh, unbelievable. It's kind of a Japanese dance stuff. Yeah, and it's good. really unique. I'm surprised they didn't change it for the U.S. release, but I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, man. Where's the sequel to this game? Yeah, I mean, they I made that. two sequels, you know, and now we're a full console generation after the last one. Yeah. Definitely. Where's the sequel? Needs one. I don't know. But, I mean, if you can find this game, pick it up, give it a spin in your 360, it'll work. That's good stuff. Hey, you know, get get some more, uh, as if the 360 doesn't have enough titles. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that besides point, you know what? A lot of people, I don't think, really fully explored the original Xbox. And, and it's hard to come by quality, interesting titles for that when you were so used to just playing your Halo and your Madden and that's what you put in there, you know? Sure. Uh, so so it's, good to, it's good to have some other uh, original Xbox titles show up. So in line with the theme of the show... We're asking all of our correspondents to come up with a system that they really enjoyed and the three must-have games for that system. So what do you got for us, man? Looking back, I really liked my Dreamcast. Ah, awesome. I had a Dreamcast right when I was entering college back in the mid-90s. Sure. And uh, it was a great system, mostly for just the bizarre titles that came out for it. They uh, they were really gutsy, yeah. uh, which is probably why the system failed so miserably. But uh, there's so many reasons that it failed that it's uh, it's it's just sad to even think about it. But yeah, uh, well, what, what what are some of the hot must haves for this game? And we'll see if we overlap because I don't think we will. But yeah, well, I uh, really liked Jet Set Radio, or it was Never Jet heard Grind of Radio. Never heard of this title. <laughs> It was uh, the, the the prequel, well, actually the first game in the series. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as good as the Xbox version, Jet Grand Radio Future. Some people think the opposite. I, I like them both equally well. Yeah, they're just a great series of games. Yeah. Lots of fun things to find, hidden objects. And you know what? There's some frustrating parts in the first one, so I think I, think I like the second one as well. Yeah, you could... In the second one, you could uh, grind up poles, and you had a boost that you didn't have in the first one. It was uh, it was more accessible, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's a. I didn't get stuck as much, I think. Yeah. Right on, right on. Well, that's a that's a great. I I, I consider that a must have as well, although that's not in my top three. What else you got? Well, yeah, I also liked the Fire Pro Wrestling D. Hot, hot title, no doubt about it. I One of my favorite titles. We talk about it often on this show. Yeah, and I had the Game Shark to get it to work. and uh, that, was the, that was the first one they had where there was downloadable content for it. You could get downloadable moves. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the Shining Wizard was the big one. Right, right. It was the Great Muda's big move back at the time, and it was fresh and new, and then they... You could download it, and then every every NPC, well, every every creator wrestler from then on always had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was annoying. And and you know the the Dreamcast had such a big promise that was gonna. I think they, they said it was gonna give us like uh, twelve people in ring and uh, yeah, and uh, a lot of other things, the larger characters and things like that. But it, but it was a nice stepping stone. And like you said, definitely that was that was one of the first times that I downloaded whole rosters from people. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was great. The uh, Dreamcast had sort of limited internet surfing capabilities, and yeah. that uh, was pretty cool. 
Yeah, you had to keep buying the Dreamcast magazine to get your browser updates and stuff like that. That's, yeah. That's fun times. That's good times. Another one of my very favorite Dreamcast games is a game called Bangayo. Okay. Uh, it's a shoot 'em up from, I think, Treasure. This is a bizarre little game. Very Japanese, almost incomprehensibly so. I don't know if there were problems with the uh, translation or if they deliberately made things confusing on translation. <laughs> but uh, the the gist of it was you were your characters were these two characters piloting a, a giant mecha. Mm-hmm. It was uh, basically a side-scrolling shoot 'em up. You could switch between the two pilots, and the one would have sort of ricocheting lasers, and the other one would have homing missiles as their weapons. But what set this game apart was there was a button you could press or a trigger you could pull. I forget what the exact command was. If you were in danger, your thing, your your mecha would just shoot all of its weapons at once. Mm. And the more the more incoming fire you had coming at you, the crazier amount of fire you would return. Mm-hmm. So the game would just bring the Dreamcast to a crashing halt if you waited until a laser was just about to hit you and then triggered this thing because your shots would fill the entire screen. You'd be laying out at least two, 300 missiles, which would just sort of expand away from your ship in this like blossom of explosions. It was great. Yeah, yeah, they're they're little uh, little gems like that. Yeah, it was a treasure game, also available for the N sixty four. I think. Really? Yeah, I think that's where it started. Let me uh, so let me name mine, of course, as is the custom which I just okay. made up uh, for this show. Number three, coming in third for the Dreamcast, I would have to go with the uh, now. Two of these are Japanese-only games. Dynamite Decca 2. Dynamite Decca 2, also referred to as Die Hard, perhaps in the arcade, is one of my favorites. This was, uh, you know, one in the long line of those three-quarter isometric view type of crazy things that probably, I think, first got its real head of steam behind it with, I think, Loaded on the PS1 um, oh. was a was a big, uh, like, launching point for a lot of these top... I know they, they existed since the beginning of arcade games, no doubt, the three-quarter overhead type of things, Akari Warriors and stuff like that, but I think uh, the American audience really got acclimated to it with Loaded. I think everyone pretty much saw Loaded, and they were like, wow, this is really neat, and something new, And uh, although it existed before. But Dynamite Decca, you were... I don't think you play... Die Hard Man, what's his name, Bruce Willis or anything, but you get to choose from three different people, and you get to, it has branching pathways that you could take, and it's a lot of fun, because you could give people pile drivers and other things like that through tables and stuff like that. I think I saw that in the arcade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was it was probably called Die Hard, uh, Die Hard 2 in the arcade. Uh, but you p- could probably pick it up from some type of import store. Dynamite Deca 2 is what you would want to be looking for. It's definitely worth it. A lot of fun. The graphics, what you're going to be looking at there maybe is that Zombies Revenge, that type of graphic. Um, okay. You know, if you're familiar with that title. Which is another three-quarter overhead type of thing, uh, but I prefer Dynamite Deck a lot, a lot, a lot more. Uh, Pen Pen Triisalon. I've talked about this uh, an Info Games game. I don't know why I love this so much, but it's one of my favorite Dreamcast games. It spent more time in my Dreamcast than than any other multiplayer title of its type. One of four players. You're just a little person, little uh, shark or walrus or or. Uh, 
penguin and you walk instead you're racing but it's you're walking and you could do different things like bonk your opponent on the head when you're close to them and you get different power-ups and it's quite slow and and plotting but for some reason i love it then there are there are some more zippier parts to it but i really love that game as a as a first person walking race game and my number one game i think for the dreamcast i'm going to go wrestling as well but i'm going to go a little bit different giant graham 2000 which was all japan pro wrestling 3 that features, was a cool title yeah, it's really great because you got giant baba you got everyone from all japan uh you know stan hansen and everybody and and aveda veda 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 then you of course have jeffrey and wolf from virtua fighter and a whack-a-mole now i know what maybe stan hansen isn't in this one actually uh i think he was oh you got dr death steve williams looking at the back here you go you got a lot of classics as well uh, as Bruno Sammartino is in here. So, I mean, how can you go... You can't go wrong with this. Now, of course, this would spawn by... And you, you had teas that you might go for Saturn instead. So I had those ready. And, of course, All Japan featuring Virtua. You can have that. Not, of course, graphically not as sophisticated. But still one of the best 3D... Uh, wrestling games definitely best looking compared to like the PlayStation One or um, or the rest of the Saturn. Pick up all Japan featuring Virtua, and then for there I would say Fire Pro Six Man Scramble. I would have to do a cheat Fighting Viper tied with uh, All Japan featuring Virtua <laughs> because only for Pepsi Man, only for Pepsi Man, uh, unlocking Pepsi Man is just a real happening. And of course, uh, the Saturn version of Bomberman. Those are my favorite uh, Saturn. I, I really struggle with the choice between the the Saturn and the Dreamcast. The Saturn was a great system too. Well, what would you give us for Saturn? I, I well, I really liked the I really liked Six Man Scramble. I really liked uh, another treasure game. It was called Guardian Heroes. Side scrolling beat 'em up. Yep, yep. That was a great game. Coming up with a third would be tough. Right on, man. Hey, well, uh, thanks for for your input this show. I hope to talk to you next uh, next month on yeah, We Talk Games. Eric Alex, Wiggly. See you, man. Bye. All right, now everyone's back on. We have uh, joining us for the forum section is uh, Johnny, Capcom, and Kyle. You're back online. Welcome, guys. I'm online. And welcome for the second meeting of, and I must preclude this, the second meeting, meaning that the second meeting of the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires official. Whereas we had gotten together as a panel before, we were unnamed, so that doesn't count. Oh, okay. That's how that works. Very good. Now, because today's show is so stacked, and I mean stacked. Stacked uh, to the moon. We have limited the panel discussion to one topic, which to me is such a broad topic that it's going to take three times as long anyway. The topic for today's panel discussions posed to the International Panel of Video Game Millionaires is name a video game concept console peripheral or system that was an abysmal failure, yet you enjoyed it. The lovable losers of the video game happening. Awesome. Kyle, you begin. Well, I broke it up into three categories. I got consoles, peripherals, and games. Oh, my gosh. See, I yeah, told I you this is going to take three times as long. But I'll pick one of each for time's sake, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, so the console front of the ones that I have in front of me, I'm going to pick the Vectrix, okay? Okay, well, uh, well w- okay. 
wasn't a smash hit, but it certainly wasn't a, a crapper either. It falls in between. So envious of this console. A friend of mine had it. I used to go over his house and play it. It made that strange hum like at any moment it could electrocute us. And then I found out years later it actually could electrocute us. Yeah. Big the overlays and the, the vector graphics. It blew my mind. I, I, I was just like, I have an Atari. This guy's got what looks like a arcade cabinet in his room yeah. and the games look awesome i just i something about this system i love it for years i've been trying to get it at a relatively cheap price I, it's like the holy grail for me yeah. as far as my collection is concerned i want it and i don't have it there are versions uh, that don't hum as much oh uh, really is hummed like a reactor oh sure sure on the peripherals front of the ones that are in front of me again i'm gonna go for the holy grail it's the nintendo 64 disc drive I remember being a kid and flipping through Nintendo Power thinking that, like, this thing is going to be amazing. You can make music and animation and your own games. It, it, they promised the world mm-hmm. with that thing. I just remember, man, I want this so bad, and it never came out here, and it came out in Japan, and it was a big flop. But uh, there's something, uh, it's just something about it that I just thought was so cool. So, With Dash and, and the Giant on it, wasn't it? Yes, Dash and the Giant. And that was one of the screenshots in the magazine. I'm like, oh my god, I want this so bad. <laughs> and I gotta do another peripheral. I'm gonna break my own rule. Uh, okay. The Pocket Station and the VMU, they were just they were too cool to exist. True. These little LCD screens, you plug in their memory cards, but you get little games. I loved it. I thought it was such a cool idea. Pocket Station never came out. The VMU was here for half a cup of coffee, yeah. and then it was gone. But I, I love it. Yes. And I still have the connection cable that allowed the Neo Geo Pocket to attach to the back of the Dreamcast and interact with your King of Fighters and stuff like that. Although that has nothing to do with the VMU. It's, well, oddly enough, cousin, Neo Geo Pocket is on my list. Okay. As consoles, but I, I cut it off. And the Wonder Swan as well. Only because those... And I, I wrote a little bit about this on the bulletin board slash forums or whatever it is. Go to wetalkgames.com and sign up now. Join that community. There's a lot of great things going on. Oh, yeah. But I, I talked about... That turned 20, I believe. And... uh I just wanted to give a little bit of my feelings and memories of it. Back to the list. Next up is games. And I'm going to pick a game, and you're going to be like, what? Super Mario 2, U.S. version. Hmm. The reason why I picked this game is because a lot of people hate on this game today. (laughs) A lot of people hate, oh, it's Doki Doki Mario. It's not the true Mario. (laughs) Did you ever play Super Mario Bros. 2 on the the, the Japanese version? That game is not fun. Yeah, that game's not fun, okay? Super Mario 1, you'd, you'd go through the pipes and you'd explore and you'd be rewarded. You'd find prizes and penny heavens and things like that. Super Mario 2, Japan, was brutal. If you explored, you got punished. There was death traps. You'd think you were going up a vine and then you ended up going back to the beginning of the stage. That game was abysmal. Super Mario Brothers 2, the U.S. version, I think is a fun game. Might not be your traditional Mario Brother game, but neither is Super Mario Brothers Sunshine or Luigi's Mansion. Right. It was um, them taking an engine and putting Mario on it. Well, guess what? A lot of games do that. How many games have used the Unreal Engine? You know what I'm saying? True. Pe- people hate on this game, and I think it's undeserved. I like Blue Blink. <laughs> Blue Blink? Yeah, Blue Blink was a very similar style title, very similar engine and everything else. And uh, it was based on the anime at the time, Blue Blink, um, and this came out for the PC Engine. It was a huge card. Right. But tons of fun. 
I just think a lot of people fall into this whole mindset that everything from Japan was awesome, and I'm a fanboy otaku and everything else, so I gotta hate on this version of Super Mario Brothers. But I'm sorry, the U.S. version is considerably better and more fun than the Japanese version, albeit a lot shorter. Right on. It doesn't have a warp zone that warps you to the game over screen. Oh. Yes, true. (laughs) Come on, collecting cherries for no apparent reason, doing slots at the end. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that game. You want me to blast through the games I got real quick? Sure. Pinball for the Nintendo. A lot of people hate this game for some reason. I love it. Grim Fandango. We all know I'm a big adventure game fan. uh, Point and Click Adventures. Grim Fandango was a great game, but commercially it it was a bomb. Clono on the PlayStation a sleeper hit, if you will, and then Shenmue, which pretty much tanked the Dreamcast. It was a great game, but cost way too much money and was way ahead of its time. That's it. Well, uh, Kyle, I have an actual I have a question here for you, sir. Shoot. And it's a query and an insult. And I have Excellent. to ask you, are you smoking pine needles? Because, I mean, those are all winners. <laughs> My losers, they suck way more. And and you were just living in a happy fantasy land because... Prove me wrong. The Dreamcast is the real tragedy of the video game industry. Mm. Oh, I was on my list and I skipped it. <laughs> I figured everyone was going to bring it up. I love but, it. I love um, the thing about the Dreamcast is I can kind of see why the Dreamcast died and didn't catch on because there's kind of something intangibly different about it. Mm. And... Um, Whenever I play it, I just kind of get this weird yellowy sensation in the back of my brain, and I John think maybe is. that might—I I, I just think that might might have uh, thrown some people off. It's just—it's a bizarre. The Dreamcast is going to give you a stroke, is what you're saying? No, no, no. It was just like <laughs> I express myself in colors sometimes. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, it, I don't know what that happens to me. I don't know what it is. There's something weird about it though, and I can yeah. see. Maybe that's why it threw people off. But, I mean, it's a very special machine. And, like, whenever I plug it in, it always gives me this kind of nice little um, feeling. Yeah, yellow feeling. feeling. Yeah, the little yellow feeling in the back of my brain. And I I love it, but it's it's just, it is a big tragedy. Mm, My my other favorite loser has to be just the arcade industry. Mm. Uh, The arcades died twice, and they're basically now a lumbering neon zombie just trying to remember how the hell it used to work back in the glory days, you know? It just doesn't work anymore, and and I think it's because, for some reason, the games just got poo, you know? Hmm. You blame the uh, games. I do, because, I mean, the arcades I used to go to were full of proper... Well, not proper, I don't... That's kind of a bad term to use, but, like, just kind of... Everything was in there. You had hardcore kind of, like platformers and you had shooters then you had puzzle games then you had everything but then like i remember visiting an arcade about two or three years ago and it was just dance dance revolution machines yeah. and like grab machines with the claws and whatever mm-hmm. and the games are gone and so are the people who would go and travel and play proper games and do you it, think it's because the home <laughs> consoles just got so powerful no i mean the thing is some big gimmick cabinets and whatever worked and were great you know like the sega r360 and mm-hmm stuff like that and if they were to produce games like that again I think it could take off but they're just not interested it's just like whatever the cheapest type of crap they can put out there that'll make money with people who aren't interested in playing really unique video games that used to be offered in the arcades and I I, I just think it's sad like you know a lot of novelty games now you know yeah and like those penny fall things and just 
again, it's just a big neon zombie just moaning out crap that nobody wants to hear. Yeah, well, now that I'm depressed. <laughs> yeah, the hottest the hottest arcades that we have in the states, I think. I don't know if, how it is in New York, but uh, are just part part the little rooms that are attached to movie theaters. Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd second that. That's, um, that's about the only arcade action we have anymore. Yeah, because I'll go to a place like Dave and Buster's, and you're running into what you were talking about, John. Uh, a lot of novelty games, a lot of DDR, a lot of really bad racing games and kitty games, and you know, there's the occasional. And some novelty games are great, like uh, Namco's Flaming Finger. I think that game's fantastic in its simplicity, but it definitely does not have the feel and the drawer of the arcade games I uh, I grew up with, playing you know Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Primal Rage, Asteroids, Defender, mm. Galaga, Space. Invaders, it, they, they don't have that feel, and you don't feel competitive anymore playing those games in that um, open forum. Right. No. Well, hopefully, you know, it'll have a resurgence again and then die a third death. But I just got a question for you, John. What are you smoking? A fresh cut bouquet of aromatic flowers? My most lovable loser is far more loserific and far more lovable. You can almost squeeze the cheeks of these losers. Now, of course, I was going to go the easy route, Virtual Boy. Because uh, that's oh. so lovable and so loserific, uh, very lovable. Almost caused you know many people to have to lose face and uh, I still can't see the color red. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, but I have even far more lovable losers than that. And you might think that I would go for the uh, ColecoVision Sport Controller, the Rapier Shield with the color finger ticklers and a joystick I you'd on go top, that route. and a spinning wheel on top. But that wasn't a loser enough. And it actually had functionality. I loved the ColecoVision sports controller because you could pick your receiver based on the color of your tickler triggers. And then to make the pass go further, you would run your other hand finger across the pot, the potentiometer uh, wheel, that spinning wheel is on top. But what I'm going to do is go something far, but not everybody loved it. See, that's why. This is, mm. this is very adorable. First place I'm going to go is the Super Scope Six. Super Scope. Ah, that was six. on my list too. And I'm I'm going to say that I'm talking about the Super Scope and the Super Scope Six. Super Scope Six was the pack-in title. Uh, I don't. I can't remember what they called it in the UK. Scope was, Six or something. Was there a Mole Patrol on there? Yep, that's right. Mole uh, Patrol. Uh, These were your six titles. It was sort of a ripoff because you had Blastrous, which was the closest thing you could get to Tetris on the Super Nintendo at the time. But you had A and B game of that, so that's already a ripoff. That's that's cutting into my six by one too many. Uh, Mole Patrol, which was whack a mole with a bazooka. Uh, laser Blazer. There were three types of Laser Blazer game. There goes. They were all great. And there goes my last. Three. You used one. That should have been one title, not not three. So there goes my Super Scope Six. You shoot down planes or other ships in all versions of this laser blazer. And the intercept mode that was kind of the neatest mode because there Mario would come by. And here, here's the only real. Uh, reason to to have the Super Soap 6 games. Mario would come by on his little plane, his little airplane. He'd fly that. He'd be chased across the screen by Lemmy Koopa, I guess, straddling a rocket a la Dr. Strangelove. And he have to shoot the Koopaling and not hit Mario, and that was kind of entertaining. Then the other two were different versions of uh, shooting down planes and stuff like that. But other titles that I enjoyed for the Super Scope were Battle Clash. That's where you went up against robots. Uh, more of a first-person type of thing on rails. 
And then Metal Combat Falcon's Revenge was the sequel to Battle Clash. Tin Star was a really fun little animated... And when you think of robots, you of course think about the Wild West. And so that's brought all that together. The Wild West, a robot, and cartoon-style animation. And one of the most head-scratching titles and hodgepodge kludgeware has to be Yoshi Safari. Absolutely. You are on the riding the back of a giant Yoshi, and Yoshi, you see the back of his head. Don't shoot the back of his head, or he'll get a sore head and he'll be mad at you, and get sick or something. I don't remember what he does, but I do remember that it looked like he... Here's Yoshi, and he's and he's plastered on top of a very slow-moving F-Zero t- racetrack, while Koopas and mushrooms fly at you, and Koopalings and Hammer Brothers. But it had it had uh, fun bosses. They were j- huge. They were almost uh, three quarters the size of the screen, and it was all like Koopalings riding in different types of wacky robots, almost like steampunk robots. I think you could go as so far as to say that, in that they were wacky like kids wooden toys or something way ahead of its time yeah except that it didn't work because it was all choppy and on an f-zero course uh now that's enough for the super scope let's not waste any more time with that bazooka let's go into the most cuddly and lovable of all the lovable losers and that has to be the 1992 taiwanese game boy killer (laughs) the watara supervision the supervision screen what's that was it with the bendy screen? Some versions had the bendable screen. And, uh, in fact, all versions had the bendable screen, but some versions had the little fold-down legs in back that were to support the screen in case you were trying to skateboard on top of it. I, I don't know what, but there, there's Why actually... Why wouldn't you? <laughs> there were two versions of the Supervision, I actually had two versions of them because I thought, well, maybe one day I'll be able to link these together and play two-player games. You um, fall into that trap a lot with I, stuff. <laughs> I do. I did that with my Virtual Boy. I definitely did it with the original Game Boy. Uh, that did come out with a link, yeah. but uh, it also was a way, a, a link, uh, linkable slot for the supervision uh you can you might be able to find these around somewhere and sometimes they'll come with the, the packing game which was crystal ball but the thing and speaking of christ ball here's the reason why number one the screen was bigger than the game boy it still had the ghosting problems of the original game boy but it had the greatest misleading named plethora of game titles ever concocted by man like I mentioned, it came with a breakout style game called Christ Ball. C-R-Y-S-T Ball. Now, you could say that's Christ Ball, but it's Christ Ball. Uh, either way, you also had Hash Block, which was like a Tetris with, with shapes of like meaning men and women. Hash Block, of course. When I think of Tetris, I think of Hash Block. You had Carrier, which was a boxy boy type of uh, game. And probably the grand winning prize has to be linear racing. Linear racing? All right. I'm going to be like a, a fake rabbit that goes around a racetrack, dog racing track or something? Linear racer. No, it is a Chinese puzzle sliding game, except that the puzzle pieces, they rendered a 3D polygon, and then it's moving. So it's a moving 3D um, the image is a is a moving 3D image, and it's divided up like a puzzle slide game of, of Chinese puzzle slide game fame. And that, of course, linear racing. What what other 
thing would you call a Chinese puzzle game, but linear racing. And it also had a really neat two-in-one pack-in title. It was called Two-in-One Blockbuster and Cross High. Whenever I feel like playing Tetris, and then immediately going out, restarting my game, and then starting a game of Excite Bike, uh, Tetris and Excite Bike, I think they go together like peanut butter and foot polish. And that is my <laughs> lovable loser, the supervision. Wiggly, what are you smoking? The Canadian flag? It's obvious that my picks are definitely the most lovable, losery picks there is. I disagree. There's nothing more lovable I agree with myself and disagree with you, sir. Well. That's a lot of poop from the boys. It's hmm. obviously the Dreamcast. Everybody loves the Dreamcast. That's not a loser. Everybody knows that my picks were the best. <clears throat> well, it looks like we won't be able to agree on what is the most lovable loser of all time. Although I think there's something that we can all agree upon. And that is that the number one most lovable game and the most successful game of all time, 25 years in celebration, has to be the game Tetris. Absolutely. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. Well, let me tell you, everybody that is listening to the sound of my voice, within the sound of my voice, that on next month's We Talk Games, we will actually have on, as a special guest, the person responsible for bringing Tetris to the world of video game consoles and handheld gaming, Hank Rogers, will be on We Talk Games. Get out of here! <laughs> wow! If, that doesn't, make th- if this, that doesn't make this show the best show in the world, then I don't know what is. It is the best show in the world. The show is stacked! I can't believe that that's even real! The man who got Tetris from behind the Iron Curtain is coming on to We Talk Games. He made it seven. The victor of the video game Cold War. He I is, think I wet myself. It's I brought more people together than anything. Amazing. Yes, we will, Talk Games. He will actually be talking games with us next month. And I have a feeling that we're going to find out things we never knew before. I'm sure of it. I can only speculate. That is if he accepts my call. But yes, Very Hank exciting. Rogers will actually be on next next month's show. And I mean, that, that's, how does that even happen? So, hey, thanks everybody for being once again part of the We Talk Games International Panel of Video Game Millionaires. And I'll talk to all you guys next month. Bye. Bye. Take it easy. Now, next up is something a little bit unusual. Uh, this is actually someone that I'm I'm pretty close to. I see her almost every day. <laughs> Trapdoor Charmed is uh, in the studio. Chiz. That's right. Hello, everyone. I'm really happy to be on this show. I know that the the fans have been asking, and uh, here I am. So so you're in the studio. (laughs) Yep, I'm in the chicken coop. And uh, you actually live. Also my home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I walked from my bedroom to uh, what was once the chicken coop. (laughs) Yeah, really. What do you hear in the other room when I'm on the when I'm on the phone with the people here? This is what I hear in the other room. I'm gonna have to step back from the mic. Yeah, okay. This is what I hear. I hear, yell, 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 go! Yeah. That's what I hear, right, and it cracks then. me up. So yell, we're yell, gonna yell. we're gonna be here to talk about what you've been playing lately, and I know right. a little bit about what you've been playing lately. I'm gonna chime in with you. Great. One thing that we picked up, and this is mostly gonna be a PS3 review, all right? Actually, but we're gonna start with Xbox 360. Why? Because there was finally a drop in the American Idol Encore 2 Karaoke Revolution Presents franchise. All right. The long, one of the longest names uh, in franchise history, Xbox 360, Karaoke Revolution Presents American Idol Encore 2. And unfortunately, we still had to get it with a microphone. Now we have 35 mics. <laughs> I know, really. USB mics. Because we started with the Karaoke Revolution back on the PS2. Which, and, if I would have to compare the two, yeah. I think I prefer K- 
Karaoke Revolution to American Idol. Yep. And on the PlayStation as well. We'll get to this when we start our PS3 business, but PS2 seemed to be a lot more in sync. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, every version of Karaoke Revolution, even for the original Xbox One or the Xbox 360 appears to my earballs to be a slightly out of sync. Now, I know that you can do adjustments with Guitar Hero and things mm-hmm. like that. My Guitar Hero is rock solid. It's perfect. I don't have to make any adjustments. But some reason with this, Ameri- with this karaoke revolution on the 360s and the regular Xbox, it seems to be a little bit behind in your voice coming through the speakers. I mean, and not only Wouldn't that... You agree? It sounds sort of like an echo. And not only that, I mean, here you are, you're doing American Idol, yeah. and you're supposed to get judged, and when the judges are, you know, uh, talking to you, they're saying the same thing as the, the, original, the previous I mean, one, yeah. right? the original one. That's what we have to talk about. Uh, we finally got American Idol 2 because... The price dropped, uh, but as right. I mentioned, we had to get it with the microphone nonetheless. And just like Chiz mentioned, we were expecting, okay, here's American Idol 2. Like, more robust. Two, we're going to get different judges, different sayings. Well, no, I knew the judges would be the same. I just thought, <laughs> I just figured that they would. there would be a little bit of more creativity well, for the Donnie second and Marie next version. judge you, and uh, <laughs> I don't know who this other guy is. Looks like Urkel now. He lost a little bit of weight. Uh, Steve Urkel's judging you, and th- it's it's just a, a bit different, a thinner version of Urkel, yeah. and uh, they say the same things. Yeah, they do. It was that was a little bit disappointing, and number two disappointing is here we are, American Idol Encore two. You can't even bring your original characters over from the original American Idol. It's not even an upgrade. It's a sideways. This would be like a downloadable pack. It's like they had um, some in, some interns come in yeah. for the summer right. and say, hey, "Hey, we need American Idol revamped for That's Encore 2. and that and yeah. Yeah, so not worth it if no. if you have the three six if you have the PlayStation though. Hold on. PS3. Go ahead. For the PlayStation 3, we finally had another price drop. We were able to get SingStar, and we started with SingStar Volume 2. This comes with the two SingStar-required mics. That's the package that we bought. And this is our first attempt at SingStar. Now, SingStar is out for the PS2. When we put it in, we noticed this is right out of London. This is all UK all over it. That's Uh, right. Especially with your band choices. Right. It's true. And and I was really excited because... Because I had lived in Europe for three years, I mean, at one shot, there were a lot of the songs that I knew, and I was really excited about that. Remember that Moloko mm-hmm. song, Bring yep. It Back? I was, like, really pumped about that. Bring It Back, Play It Back. <laughs> but no, I mean, if I must say, Sing Star, it's incredibly fun. Nothing like singing and dancing along to your favorite artists, and also um, emulating what they're doing in the videos. I mean, that's really fun. Right. The Sing Star franchise, number one, the microphones are quality, quality. mics. These are heavy mics. Yeah. Now, they are wired mics, and they are special mics. You can't use your USB, but they come with a USB adapter that plug into your PS2 or PS3. Uh, now, this is a Blu-ray disc, so, of course, this won't work in your PS2, but a lot of the song packs, I guess, are cross-compatible with this. And where it differs from the previous karaoke revolutions or even the rock bands or the Tar heroes and things like that is that you are watching the actual videos by the bands 
and then you can have some of their voice in the mix or out of the mix. And it really takes advantage of the PlayStation Eye, as well as it can record an audio version of the entire song. And then you can go back in and mix your vocals into it. If you don't have a recording studio at home, this is not a recording studio, but it is as good as yeah. the karaoke booths that used to be at like the parks. <laughs> no, I, Remember anyway, going if, to Darney Park and oh, you could, sure. I did, you'd go in a karaoke booth? I did push it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you get to do that, and then you can have a, a capture of your entire audio performance, as yeah. well as little clips of the video, and the whole video. If you want to save that, you can save that as well. But you have to do that immediately after you're, you finish the song. If after you, your gig? You, yeah. <laughs> After you, if you bounce out of it, it's gone forever. So you have to make the decision whether you want to save it or not. And there are duets, and this is another fun thing. It comes with two mics. Here's some of the titles on the back. Aerosmith, uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady, When I See You Smile by Bad English. We, Wiggly yeah. <laughs> We put it on this random. Right. We kept getting that song. But let me tell you, we both knew like the exact tone, the inflection in the guy's voice, everything, which was Horrible kind of song. scary. Yeah. yeah. The Cure, Elton John, and Kiki D. Uh, th- that was great. And the downloadable content was oh, awesome as well yeah. because here's why SingStar wins. Yeah. Kate Bush. Oh my God. I mean, we only get Babushka, but, but it doesn't matter. Number one, it's probably the greatest video if you ever want to see the booby bumps uh, going on in there. No, and her the, amazing you know, choreography. And the red Sonia outfit. I mean, it's <laughs> just dynamite. But when were you able to ever do Kate Bush I in know. a video game? So, right there. We Kate were Bush. so excited. We did what, like three times? Wings, Adam Ant, Alice Cooper, Bill Withers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Falco, Roxy Music, Ting Tings, and your rapping does get judged differently, like Run DMC or the rapping parts of Rock Me Amadeus. That gets judged on rhythm rather than notes. David Bowie. So fun. Who's that funny band that you downloaded? You're like, I can't believe they have this. They did that Christmas song. Ah, Wizard, Wizard, <laughs> one of the greatest glam, glam rock, rock bands yeah. around, and they have, they have. I wish it could be Christmas every day. And great song, uh, by uh, the way. Just to watch some of these videos, <laughs> I think it's worth the price of admission, and you can get these pretty cheap. I mean, I got I got SingStar Volume Two for eighteen dollars, uh, wow. somewhere around the Wiggly Mini Mall. The reason that I needed to get this, $8, here it is, ABBA, SingStar. When I was first in the shopping center, I saw ABBA had their own game. I knew that someday I had to purchase SingStar. <laughs> but I ended up getting Buzz. We ended up going with Buzz. Which the, is a the game great show. game. Yeah, I love, we love a lot that. Of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, so ABBA, and you get all the ABBA hits, and now they just released Queen. So that is definitely high on my wish list. Now, you might ask yourself, why do I just want this thing that all I could do in it is karaoke, just singing? Mm-hmm. where I could already do that in rock band and in Guitar Hero and stuff like that. But those other titles are more geared on rhythm. Right. I mean, they, they have the singing bits, and you have to try to hit the notes and, and keep up with that. But this is solely based around singing and just having a good time singing. Now, I don't know. You like rock band a little bit. We like have a good a, time with it. Yeah, a, a little bit. I, I have a, a hard time with it. Yeah, but this is a complete... <laughs> but you do a lot of the singing while I'm doing Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That this I rock. This is a completely different experience right and one thing i noticed with the sing star as well is that it can recognize my voice i have a very hard time on the karaoke revolutions because mm-hmm. my my singing voice has like dual, tone, dual tones in fact even my speaking voice does mm-hmm. i have a pretty thick voice so the karaoke revolution will be flickering all around even though if i'm holding one note and it's the right note it'll be jumping all over the staff true 
the SingStar recognizes a little bit better where I'm at. As a matter of fact, the very good thing about SingStar, I think, is that I don't have to sing falsetto as much. If I sing falsetto, American Idol, the, the karaoke revolution, that then I can get the platinums and the hundreds and everything like that. Now, you're having a hard time getting platinums on the normal level of SingStar. Why so I like is that? that? Why? I like that. Well, because I think that it has, it's really, it really cares about what you're singing. I guess so, yeah. You know? And that's and cool, I don't have to sing kind of, falsetto as much. Because if you take, if you take singing seriously at all, like I do, um, it actually can help you. Yeah. It can help and it you shows improve. you exactly where you are. It's, and it, yeah, because a lot of times I, I really, I think I'm singing the song perfectly. But then as I'm watching where my notes are actually falling, I'm either coming in later or, you know, I'm not. Yeah, you're not right on. Yeah. The, and the neat thing is it also, I remember it popping up harmony that I knew I was singing the harmony of it. That was neat. Yeah. Higher yeah. or and lower, it, me points it picks for it up. That. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yep. So I really like the judging a lot better in SingStar as well. And if you put it on easy, I'm sure it's a lot easier. But we just played it on regular, and I think that's a very nice bass because it gives Chiz more of a challenge. She, I mean, she, when she plays Karaoke Revolution, it's platinum records constantly. It's sick. I'm like, I unlock characters. I unlock venues. I yeah. unlock all kinds of stuff. So Outfits. I, I, sort of, I sort of like this. I, I have more of a chance. Not really. On on the I know you, you you have that competitive streak. You can, you like. <laughs> I see him. We're singing a duet. And, well, I know I'm and he lose. gets like. Or when we were playing, the, what was the one game where it's it's not past the mic, but it was um uh, like it was a, a medley. medley. It was a medley type thing, and both he and I had independent medleys to do, and I was really struggling with some of the songs because I didn't know them. Yeah. Well, I see Wiggly like out of the corner of my eye with his fist clenched, and he's looking <laughs> oh, down. He's like, on, yes, 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 like wanting me to fail. No, no, I was just. <laughs> I was finally within he like a 10 it. point spread of I you know, yeah. and then you clobbered <laughs> me in the end anyway but still there is no game that you could just go in there and sing whatever you want like I would rather sing a song when I do regular karaoke I sing it my own way yeah, and a lot of people like the way I sing songs. You know, yes. you do it original. There's still no game where you can have that algorithm. Now, that's what that's what we need next. We need we need the karaoke equivalent of the backbreaker game that's going to be coming out for football. We need that somehow <laughs> yeah. parallelly applied to singing right. that it can judge you on your creativity yeah. of how you can craft the song in your own image. Right, right. And so, if it's SingStar versus American Idol 2, or even American Idol, what's your pick, Chiz? Uh, oh, well, SingStar. Yeah, that, me too. I mean, SingStar yeah. blows it away. I, sorry, I started right dancing so, for a second no problem. there. So, right now, I think, as far as family fun party games go, I think that PS3 is yeah. your system, because you have yeah. the buzz, and you have this SingStar. Everyone can get involved, and it's a, it's a big, big blast. Now, when if it's online play and things like that, sure, 360 is is a hand down, hands down winner. But I think for fun party long games, and you know, you have your Rockstar and your Guitar Hero and all that can be available for the PS3 as well. Well, you can't beat that screen resolution. And you also have one more game for the PS3. Then, then I got to hit the dump button because this is already running overtime. Found this for five dollars online. It is a Korean game, but it is not region locked so you can play this on your ps3 if you happen to have one although the back does say for use in korea only which was a bummer because anytime we wanted to play this we actually had to go to korea and put it in our system over there but uh hakuna matata i i thought chiz would love this uh, we, we enjoy and why flower. would chizzy love this game because, because 
well, number one. Easy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's less of a an intensive style game. It's more of a leisurely game. And, a lot and of, you I don't love have a lot leisurely of, games. And you don't have a lot of time to play. And you don't want to get all wound up before bedtime. And that's when you, you usually like to play a game to wind down. Yeah. So I thought you'd love this. So what is Hakuna Matata, Chiz? Hakuna Matata is a National Geographic uh, video game where the st- uh, the setting takes place uh, someplace in Africa. All over Africa, you all go over, on little okay. trips. All over Africa. I didn't get that far into the game, but right. to Wiggly's point, you go on little trips and you can choose your character, a male or a female. And uh, essentially, what you are doing is you have a mission. So it's not like you're just walking around and taking pictures or viewing animals in this beautiful scenery. You have a mission. You do have to take pictures. You have to film. Yeah, it's sort of it's like... It's really easy, it's though. It's like Pokemon Snap, but you're looking at real animals, giraffes, and... And it's it's cool. I mean, it's... and zebras and lions and things like this and gazelles. The, the settings are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, PS3, high-res quality. Yep. I haven't had a chance to really play it. I played it maybe, what, 45 minutes, you know, maybe yeah. to an hour, and I really did enjoy it, and I love that there's no pressure. I'm all about the games that don't have any pressure, time limits, restraints, and stuff, and... Yep. Yeah, it's it's really uh it's really fun. Yeah, you a five right bone, on. you can't beat that. Yeah, you can't beat it. So you might be able to find that at your imp- importer house. Although uh, I have a feeling that it's getting sold out as people find out that the, about these giant price drops. Yeah, you can yeah. probably find this between under ten dollars, I think. And it's a neat little title. It's been out for a while. Havoc brought it out, and so that's been that. Now, w- now as has been the custom, what? System, are you going to say for your a system that you enjoyed a lot and you would like to recommend your three <laughs> must have titles for this system? Okay, well, my system. Of course, a Nintendo DS. Uh, n- no, actually, it's not the Nintendo DS. Okay. My system, and, and some people may know this already from listening to maybe Magic Milkshake Machine back in the day, but my system of choice would be in television. Okay. Tales and television. Yep. Now, you have to remember when I was introduced to this system, it was around the same time that Atari was really hot. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't. They weren't. They didn't go the uh, the Atari way. My right. dad wanted to do something different. Thought us. this would be more intellectual. I, in I think he did. I think he did. He got fooled. Yeah, he, he sure did. But for uh, I, I don't even remember how old I was. Maybe eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. I loved the system. And what was really um, gratifying for me were this. I, I love the simpleness of it, but the music. The music was mesmerizing. Yeah. Let me tell yeah, in the cartridges. Let me tell you, Snafu, first game that I fell in love with. Very good. Absolutely. And um, give us it, a little rendition of that that music in there. Okay. Es- essentially, you are like I'll just dis- like a snake. Okay. A snake. And you're constantly moving. And yeah. what you're doing is, if you're not bumping into obstacles and shortening the end of your tail, then you're just trying to you're trying to elongate your tail. That's the whole point of this. You don't mm. want to get the end of your tail eaten. And the first one, uh, who's eaten up loses but okay. there's a lot of different settings in the game right. and um i've even played an emulator of snafu and it's funny <laughs> when you're trying to get to the different settings and stuff but the the music i just love the simple you music mean, wait what you're saying is that because the intellivision had all those number keys there's a telephone on top of a thing that looked like <laughs> something you set your drink on top of a, like a coaster That's that was true. a control pad uh and you had all these numbers on there so trying to figure out in an emulator how to actuate the number pad uh, is sometimes challenging. Well, it's usually half your your game play time. <laughs> 
it's, he's trying true. to figure out how he's to just right. choose one it's one. True. I, it's true. It's true. But give us some of the, the tunes from there. All right, here's one of the tunes that goes. Right. And then the other one goes. Right on. <laughs> 16-bit processor uh, inside that And then it speeds up and then it goes... Right. What else we got? Now, that was your number one. Why did you start oh, with okay. number one? What else we got? Okay. Well, um, I also must liked another must-have another must is Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. And this is a game that if you looked at the artwork yeah. on the, uh, what do you call it, the sleeve that it came, that held the cartridge, right, it was sure. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And then you look at the game. Uh-oh. I, I, is there such thing as 4-bit? Well, I just want to... No. It was a 16-bit processor. But what I want to what I want to say is is that you know put the put the axe on that because you never know who who we might have on the show next. No, that's that's true. Well, yeah, but I'm saying they're it's working my, within my their top. technology. Exactly. Okay. But I, I'll just give you a quick a quick thing. I love this game. This is one of these games that really kept me on the edge of my seat at age 11 or 12, and I mastered this game because for me it was all about using my senses. It was all mm-hmm. about really carefully listening and paying attention to you how many to roll those steps I were taking. Sixteen-sided die. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you had three hour. Uh, that's all I remember. You had like three arrows, and you were walking into a cave like it's just like imagine your whole screen is just a, a tan canvas and then you see like a cutout and that's you walking in that cutout and then you'd hear like and that was the dragon so your heart would start racing you know you had to just start shooting your three whopping arrows and try and kill them <laughs> yeah. but you would pick up little things like potions and stuff so but, I, did, I guess that so, you didn't get out the graph paper and grid out no. uh, where the dragon was and no. where he wasn't but speaking, of, uh, speaking about grids that's a nice segue to my final favorite game which okay. was Night Very Stalker oh. and that has a, had a maze setting and mm-hmm. this was really cool because um, you were the, that traditional and television man icon mm-hmm. you know which one i'm talking about yeah. it's the yeah you were him and what you did is you started at one point of this maze and you had to find your gun and what you did is while you're finding your gun there's bats and there's spiders and the, ro- the robot that's the scariest thing they're coming after you and as i remember too the music was very um monotonous it was very monotonous, but it was driving, and it was scary, and you just wanted to get that gun and start shooting at things. So, those were, I mean, I had other in, in television games that I did enjoy, yeah. but those are the three that really left an impression in my mind. Right and on, I, right on. If I could just say one little thing about favorite games, and I know maybe a lot of people might get a chuckle out of this, but... I was once a hardcore gamer in that I woke up at 8 in the morning and I would play until I had to go to work, which would be like play till 1. I was obsessed with Final Fantasy VII. And I recently played it. Wiggly got it on the PS3, Mm -hmm. right? He got it. And um, I'm like playing this game and realizing, oh my gosh, it's so simple. The graphics are so simple. But you know what it is? It's the music. The yeah. music that really got me. We talked about that uh, last episode a lot. Just the whole... Da, 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 da. Sure. <laughs> um, hey, wow, Jiz, thanks for great. being a part of the show. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to have been a part of the show, and um, all the best. All right. Hey, and that brings to a close another whopping episode of We Talk Games. Thank you, Chiz, for being in the studio. Thank you, Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, Ralph, Eric Alex, Jade... 
Very special thanks go out to our special guests, Grant Henry, Greg Maletic, George Gomez. Amazing. I can't believe this is still happening. This is so super. Of course, thank you, TT. Now spell goodbye. T.T. Smootkins. Right on. <laughs> and thank you, uh, Stinky, of course. I'm nude. Me too. Yeah, we're all nude, Stinky. I just want to say one thing with yeah, you. Yeah, chiz. I'm, I've totally, absolutely been rocking that Kyle John Wiggly shirt with your heads from We Talk Games. Oh, cafepress.com slash Wiggly's World. Yeah, I got the, it's like the yellow color. It's got a little bit darker yellow Lens at the neck. Ringer. Love it. I'm like wearing it to death. I got a, a little tiny stain on it. I'm freaking out. Got to buy another one. <laughs> right on. Hey, next month, don't forget, Hank Rogers. Yeah. Hank Rogers. And Hank. more. And more. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be tie-ins with that, too. You won't believe it. Once again, we're going to go out with Metroid Metal, Super Metroid Prelude theme. Get on out to PAX. Get on out to support Metroid Metal. And we'll see you back here next month on We Talk Games. I'm going to go fire up my virtual boy and have a heart attack. Thank you, everyone. Bye.